issue. We are live on 97.3 City FM. My name is Selom Adunu. As always, the show is live and interactive, and you can join the discussion via our WhatsApp lines on 0549-986-996. You can also do so via 020-444-7033. This morning, as always, a number of issues to deal with. This week has been replete with discussions around the lithium mining agreement. Many have said that the agreement signed by government uh, between the Barari DV group and government, really, uh, is one of the best. Indeed, the minister has said that it's the best agreement we've seen in the mining sector, you know, for years or since the colonial days. Others have also said that given that this is a new area, the green minerals exploration or exploitation, we, we could get more from that. Indeed, royalties has gone up. The carried interest bid has also gone up and a few other things. This deal also has uh, a portion on value addition, where there is some discussion or there is some clause around the setting up of a plant to add value to the lithium ore before it is exported, and a few other clauses in that agreement. Yet still, people think that it could be better. We will examine the merits and the demerits of both arguments this morning on the program. Also, a number of head teachers, about 11 of them, were interdicted. Why? because they charged what the Ghana Education Service describes as, you know, unapproved fees. What really is an unapproved fee? And why were they taking the money? They took the money, in some cases, to buy lunch bags for the, the students, uh, track suits for the students, books, etc. Were these things really necessary? Why didn't they seek approval from their superiors before doing so? Is it a symptom of the lack of adequate funding of the free SHS, and how can we make it better? How can we resolve it? What should be the fate of these interdicted head teachers? Do you think they should go home? They should be demoted? They should be transferred? What punitive measures would you prescribe for them in this circumstance? Uh, this, uh, these are the issues uh, we'll be uh, looking at mainly uh, today um, on the big issue. So we will take a short break when I return. I'll provide some updates, introduce my guests, and then we'll get a discussion underway. Once again, you're welcome. One is on the lithium mining agreement and all the discussions that we've had about it this week. And we're also looking at the matter of the interdiction of the, of the head teachers. Uh, what should happen to them? Should they be sacked, uh, you know, transferred, demoted, or they should be left, or they should just be cautioned and left? Is it a matter of the uh, so-called underfunding or lack of, lack of adequate funding for the free SHS? Free SHS is a flagship uh, program of the government, and government says it's doing everything possible to ensure that it, it gets going and some 1.5 or 1.8 people uh, are on that program, which makes it one of the biggest social protection programs uh, that the country has seen lately. But to provide you some update, government is resolute in engaging key stakeholders in discussions on the contentious lithium lease agreement, actively seeking parliamentary involvement to address uncertainties before construction begins on the concession. The Minister for Natural Resources, uh, Samuel Abu Jinapo, express satisfaction with the current agreement during the civil society organization's engagement in Accra, emphasizing the 10% shares uh, and the potential for value addition within the country. 
There is more in this report. The sector minister, Samuel Abdullah Jinapo, backing the mining lease agreement between Ghana and Barari DV, a subsidiary of the Atlantic Lithium Company for the lithium exploration in Ewuya in the central region, assured the stakeholders that the deal prioritizes adding value to the country's green minerals. Despite concerns from civil society organizations and stakeholders, the sector minister highlighted the significance of listing on the Ghana Stock Exchange for indigenous participation marking a groundbreaking move in the country's mining history. This whole transaction is very complex. There are a lot of things that still has to happen. The building of the chemical plant, um, the listing on the stock exchange, uh, the indigenous participation, and so the pricing, uh, how to ensure that we monitor the production and the declarations and, not, and so on and so forth. And I think that civil society will have a key important role to play in that. And that is where I will plead that our focus and attention should be how we are going to implement this lease, beginning from now to ratification, to implementation stage, building the mine itself, and also the, 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 the provisions we put in there which will give maximum benefit to the Ghanaian people, how we are going to work together to ensure that it happens. And I want to promise you, as a minister responsible for lands and natural resources, I am fully, fully committed to working with civil society. My doors are open, and any day, any time, let us engage for the good of our country. The minister reiterated the government's contentment with the agreement's terms, urging the people of Ghana to support and fully benefit from the resource. The government is fully satisfied with the terms we've reached with this company, and we did so thoroughly for a long period of time. We crossed the T's, we dot the I's, and we've come to the conclusion that this arrangement is absolutely in the interest of the people of Ghana. Responding to the concerns raised by the Paramount Chief of Mankesim, His Eminence Osajifo Amanfo Edu VI, Minister Jinapo assured community engagement with stakeholders. This is the first time a community development fund has been negotiated and legislated upon. This is the first time. The mining companies in our country historically had the discretion to determine what amount of money or what revenue they will assign for community development. That's a fact. The mining companies historically, see you, am I right in saying so? Yes, the mining companies had the discretion to say, look, we are going to allocate, you know, 10 million, 20 million for community development to build boreholes and that and that and that. This is the first time we have put in a mining lease a clause that says that there will be the establishment of a community development fund for the catchment area of the mining operations, the community where the mining operation is going to take place and it's going to be 1%. And per the initial calculation, conservatively, minimum, we are talking about $6 million a year for the development of the community. But what I will say to the revered chief is that we will engage them. We have a whole program of countrywide engagement. Despite opposition from the vice president of Imani Africa, who sees room for more favorable deal, Minister Jinapo's stance remains firm. The point is not whether you know how much mineral is there, which is what you do through exploration and development of the mine. The point is when you have a suspicion that there's minerals there, through earlier geological studies, like we had for lithium, 
we knew there was lithium in that region, that uh, Cape Coast Bermudian part, all the way in 1916. In 1972, the geological service did a study. The lady who wrote the seminar paper on that is actually the person uh, for whom the geology prize at the University of Ghana is named, Dr. Makumensa. She did that definitive study. We knew that there was lithium in the area. We just didn't know how much lithium there was in the area. So whether it was commercial or not, they are very different things. But we knew, we know there's lithium there, and we want people to go and explore and find out how much. Why can we not use auction? How can we say it's an open tender? If you are interested, come and bid for the license. And then it looks at all the terms that you have, including some prospective terms. There's nothing wrong with that. And the reason why I have it is not that to give us necessarily bigger fiscal uh, outcomes. The reason why I push for that is that it's a marketing tool to make us all aware of what is happening in the country, in the mineral sector. And in addition to that, it attracts more, sometimes better equipped investors than the ones that we've been getting. That's why we are pushing for this approach. The co-chair of the Ghana Extractive Industry Transparency Initiative, Dr. Steve Mantiao, deems the lease agreement best for Ghana but calls for a change in mining law if Ghanaians are dissatisfied with the current terms. Whoever says this is Ghana's best deal so far is right. Unless we can show a deal which is superior in terms of the fiscal provisions. I am even surprised that we appear to be cool with mining giants like Newmont, Anglewood and Goldfields paying 30% royalty and rejecting 10% royalty for lithium. When gold fetches more, on the market than lithium. This deal compares favorably. I'm just coming from Tanzania last Sunday, and I took the trouble to look at the East African fiscal terms and all that, and including Tanzania. They are royalty for all minerals, including uh, renewable. In fact, they don't even have a separate renewable energy policy. We, we have gone ahead of them, and we advise them to think in that direction. Their royalty is 6%. All right, so you're welcome back. Uh, so that was uh, some engagement the minister had with uh, some members of civil society organizations on the deal. Civil society uh, is being seen a number of things in respect of this particular arrangement. Some think that it is good, others think that yes, it is good, but a few more things need to be done about this. Interestingly, a number of people have spoken about this as well. The IEA thinks that it could be better, uh, Imani as well. Uh, and then some two prominent citizens of our country, Kofi Ansa, the former boss at the Minerals Commission, and Fuyuchi Kata, who is a well-known um, mining sector legal expert, I, should, I could call him that way. They, they have written also to support the arrangement. Um, they broadly support the arrangement, but they say what we should actually be concentrating on is how the gross revenue uh, for the mine or for, for the, uh, the, the, the mineral will be arrived at because a lot of what Ghana stands to gain depends on the gross revenue. That is to say, uh, the various calculations are based on the gross revenue. So for example, royalties will be calculated based on the gross revenue, the income tax, and all of that. Uh, if, if the gross revenue is huge, it means what Ghana takes out is also great. They are also uh, described as erroneous views expressed by the IEA uh, and Sofa Kufu also acting under the IEA uh, that the arrangement could be uh, a joint venture one or it could be one, what we call a service agreement, etc., etc. They say that in respect of that, it is an argument that places form over substance, so it didn't really uh, uh, matter. Also, they took some ink to also pronounced on comments made by Professor Ransford Jampo, 
who actually happens to come from the Infantiman area and who has been quite vocal on this, saying that Ghana is not giving or it doesn't have, it's not having or getting a good deal from this arrangement. They took time to explain that the figures he was working with were not realistic, the figures were not correct. This is the same also of the IEA. And they've called on the IEA to come out and uh, explain to us what the basis of their figures really are. So this morning, to help us do the discussion, will be or are Dr. Abdul Rashid Hassan Pelpo, Member of Parliament for WA Central, former Minister of Many Portfolios, uh, Dr. Steve Mantel, co-chair of the Ghana Extractive uh, Industry Transparency Initiative. Uh, he'll be joining us, Dennis Asari, uh, who is a senior researcher in energy economics at Imani Africa. We'll also have Martin Aisi, who is the chief executive officer of the Minerals Commission. Indeed, we'll also have um, my good friend Alex Ampabin, who is a tax expert, to help uh, provide some insight as far as uh, this matter is concerned. It's, it's, it's a fiscal matter, really. It comes down to a lot of taxes and all of that. So it will be important to have a tax analyst uh, perspective on, on, on it. So yes, this is our discussion this morning. Doc, uh, you're welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. Yes. So um, the, the discussion on, and I guess you are well, your constituents are good and everything's fine. Oh, yeah, fine. everybody's fine. Nice Wa Central, I understand everybody's fine. <laughs> there are a few in, um, naturally occurring things there, like okay. funerals, but okay. generally there's peace okay. there. So, so, so you guys are UMPs. I mean, it almost appears you must be at every funeral. Is it about your presence or is it about the, the thing you sent, that you sent there? What, what really is it about oh, in terms of MPs attending funerals? It's a combination of these things you have mm -hmm. mentioned. First of all, your presence is necessary depending on the funeral and depending on um, your relation with a person. Uh, it enables you to mix with the people, solidarize with them, let them understand that you are part of them. And sometimes what you present is a necessity mm. because uh, in Ghanaian funerals, a lot of expenditures are made. So you want to contribute to the support of the families. Mm. So you, you sometimes have to offer, even if it is anything small, it's still necessary mm. to do that. And it says that if, if an MP doesn't respond to those calls, an MP is actually signing his, his, dismiss, his own dismissal letter. <laughs> yeah. In Ghana, we want to solidarize. Yes, we yes. want to have communal relationships. So when you see a member of parliament abstaining from these things or mm. absenting himself from these things, then it becomes a problem. The people see you to be external of them. Mm. And so logically, um, you might not get the kind of support and cooperation mm. you, you, you need. I see. Mm. All right. So, so I, I guess you've been following the discussion on the lithium uh, mining agreement. It's, it's, yeah. it's been quite an interesting discussion. Um, what do you make of the discussion in the first place? I think that contrary to what we've seen maybe in the past, it's not been very divisive. It's been on the issues and it's the kind of intellectual engagement that we generally expect. What do you make of the discussion generally before we get into the, the, the various sticking points? First of all, I think it's a very healthy discussion. Um, this is what the MPP failed to do when they signed the agreement. Mm. You know, people are at pain, reflecting on the fact that Ghana has been in the forefront of gold production long before independence mm. and had even been called Gold Coast because of the high production of gold in Ghana. And if for all these years 
we've not benefited enough from gold as we should have. And uh, we retain a very small percentage of gold production. Mm. And today, a new mineral is found, a green mineral, which is going to be the, the lead mineral in the new generation of production of engines. Mm. Then people will begin to question, are we going to go back to the same system of failed promises, failed agreements, you know, under and gaining less than we had gained before, or we are now going to have a new thinking and a new approach. Mm. So that is what is informing the, the debate. And I suppose that, like I'm saying, should have happened before the signing of the agreement. You see, um, stakeholders, I mean, in the, in the, in the production of uh, any mineral, and people are seriously concerned mm. about the outcomes that would be, uh, that will come out of the, first of all, the, the discussions and the final agreement. So we would have expected that the governments would open up discussions on this. Mm. So we, all these things could have been taken into space, into the space before we, we go on to sign the agreement. So I think that it's a very, healthy discussions and I'm very happy that um, all people of all kinds are coming in to project their views and to uh, put meaning into the agreement that is being signed right now. Uh, I see. So, for example, um, people talk about, I mean, the agreement talks about uh, certain uh, establishment of, uh, uh, of a plant which will add value and that is a departure from what you've seen in the so-called colonial agreement. That surely is a step in the right direction and it's something that we should embrace. The, the, the setting up of a plant to add value to the, the, the green mineral, to the lithium, that we will mine before it will be exported, if, if we have to export it at all. That really is a significant step away from what you've seen in, in other mining agreements you've complained about. Yeah, yeah, it, it is, it is. We, we value that, I, I think that it's a logical out it should be a logical outcome of any interaction between um, somebody who wants to come and extract our minerals mm. and then the outcome of the agreement that um, is made um, the, 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 the problem with this agreement is that it doesn't look like there is a firm condition for the company to come and do that it's like as they go on depending on their willingness to do it, then they will do it. It's it, it not so firm as to the company. Um, it's like, like a compelling situation for them to do that according to the agreement. We would have wished that something much firmer is established so that the company doesn't begin to explain the reason why they can't have it in Ghana because if they can't have it and they explain, it is within the scope of the agreement. So we think that if we can firm that up, it will add quality to the agreements. I see. The, the NDC has been speaking about this. For example, the position the NDC partly is espousing is that uh, they, they, they would think that uh, the, the mining laws will be changed before uh, the, the, the mining of the green minerals is, is, is begun. So for example, we have the traditional minerals, the gold, diamond, and all of that. that could be covered under the mining laws we have now. And because this is a new area, even though it's also a mineral, because of 
the attention of the world or the focus the world is giving green minerals. The NDC is saying that they would have expected that, you know, the laws will be reviewed before such a thing is done. Uh, how soon could we have done that? Because we need the money. The minerals are down there. We need money to do things. Did we have to, I mean, what, what, where does this come from, really? We need the money. The minerals are there. We can use these laws to do it, figure the way we've done, and get it done. What's that position about? Wait till we review the, the laws before we go into it? Or, or what really? Well, the, the summary of what the NDC is saying is that we should look forward. Once this thing was discovered years ago, and once this agreement had been talked about, and meetings had been occurring, within a week we could do a law. Mm. Yeah, we could do a law and pass it. I mean, in, in Parliament we do such laws on emergency basis. And it is not as difficult as anybody is imagining. If you want to do a law, you can do a law. Mm. If you are looking forward, it would have given a good impression on government that this is a new situation we are facing. And there's a need to review our laws. That peg, for example, the minerals exploration uh, laws, that says that you can, between 5% and 6% of uh, uh, you know, tax and, and all that, it shouldn't, shouldn't be, I mean, of uh, royalties, shouldn't be acceptable in, in this particular situation. Th there must be an elaborate uh, approach to it with, with a legal frame that bind it so that we are not going to look like it used to be mm. in the opposition, imposition by a colonial regime that had a, 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 an aim of coming to exploit and steal the resources that are here. Mm. And for which reason they imposed laws which we got to copy. We, we later on continue copying, you know, at the detriment of society, detriment of a young generation that will come. So uh, I think that um, we need to be very forthright in it. We need to back everything we are saying with a law and enable government to have a strength which can be pursued beyond just sitting down to talk, meaning that there must be a, a, legal, a legal framework, uh, framework within which we can operate. Very well. I see. Let, let, let me bring in uh, uh, Dennis Asari uh, into the discussion. He's joining us on Zoom. Dennis Asari is a senior researcher, uh, energy economics at Imani, uh, and he joins us uh, on this matter. Dennis, uh, good morning. Welcome to the program. Good morning, Salam. I trust you're doing well. And yes, sir, good I'm... morning to uh, Honorable Rashid, and good morning to your viewers as well. Yes, I'm, I'm good, and thanks so much for, for joining. Imani has been quite active in the last few days on, on this uh, lithium uh, mining agreement and all of that. What really is Imani's position on the agreement? Great. Thank you very much, and thank you for giving us your platform to also contribute to this uh, conversation. Our argument has been that um, any agreement that we, we, we make around lithium, we must take cognizance of the dynamics in the market and ensure that we have a relatively um, good deal. We have made some strong case around the royalty rate. We've made some case around issues related to refinery, uh, MIFs participation, and broader things that must be considered before uh, Parliament ratifies this agreement. One of the reasons why we have been very active in this conversation is that lithium is, has become one of the most important minerals for our green transition. Climate change is causing a lot of devastation, and the world has agreed to embark on a transition to a green economy. 
And one of the minerals that is going to lead that transition is lithium because uh, it's a strong conductor of electricity and even in the area of storage of electricity because as part of the transition, renewables will play a key role. And one issue with renewables are the, is the intermittency. And so technology has been advanced to ensure that we'll be able to store the power that comes out of renewable. And one of the key minerals playing a role in that battery storage industry is lithium. And that is why we believe that if we are getting into this space, where in future is going to determine the pace of the green transition, we must make sure that we get it right. Because other countries did not get it right, like Zimbabwe, who did not get it right from the start, have, have, have had a very strong hit and have lost some potential revenues that they could. And so since we are starting, it is an opportunity for us to have a stronger conversation and ensure we get it right. Another thing is that lithium will not be the only critical mineral that Ghana will, uh, will, will produce or will, will discover. There are other ones that have been discovered, like graphite, who also play a key role in the global energy, uh, energy transition, for example, within the battery um, value chain for electric vehicles. And so in future, if graphite also gets into a high commercial discovery and we'll be awarding contract for the development of uh, uh, graphite, we must ensure that the lessons from lithium will even help us better reposition ourselves in, the, uh, in, in, in other agreements for the future critical minerals that we'll have. And I'll share a bit more detail in the presentation. So I don't know if time permits us to go into it now. We're going to it now. That's one let's, of the reasons why. Just go, ahead, just go ahead now. OK. And just give me a few minutes to share my Yeah, so, so, so this is a big issue. Uh, we're looking at the matter of the lithium agreement in Ghana. The question is whether Ghana has had a good deal or not. Many people have shared varied opinions on this. It's one of the discussions that many people have thought very progressive. The IE has spoken, chief, former Chief Justice on the platform of the IE, Sufaya Kufu, has so spoken about it. She had her own issues with it, and these issues she had were very much aligned with the position of the IE, of course, because that's a platform. Uh, Imani has spoken about this, and uh, we're just having uh, Imani's Dennis Asari, who is a research, a senior researcher, energy economics with Imani, uh, taking us through a few things, and he's just uploading a presentation he's, he's, he's about to do. Um, we'll speak to the Minerals Commission as well. They, they are the regulator of the space, and they will, they will have a few explanations to, to make to us. The NDC has a position on it. We've just uh, been speaking to uh, Dr. Rashid Popo, who has been trying to espouse a part of that position, which we'll go into a, a bit deeper. And so what do you think as a Ghanaian? Um, we've seen gold, we've seen diamond, we've even seen oil, um, all being natural resources that this country's had. Um, have we been impressed about how resources for funds from these resources have been applied? What can we do differently with this mining uh, 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 mineral that we've discovered and about to mine? Government said they've tried to give a better or you know, uh, secure a better arrangement or agreement with uh, the companies involved, uh, Berari, DV, um, etc. But are you okay with the terms? Do you even know the terms at all? Government says that it's getting 10% royalties, and before it used to be 5%, that is in the general. I mean, in the traditional mining sense, uh, and, and royalties is calculated on the gross, uh, uh, the gross product or the gross find. So before anything happens, the royalties will be calculated. And also, you know about the growth and stability uh, levy that was introduced by government through parliament about two years ago. That is 1% that will also uh, be affected. That also comes on the gross 
Apart from that, we have what we call the carried interest um, in, in, in many, many other areas. Or in the, in the oil sector, for example, in the initial agreements, carried interest was just 10%. Now, these days, it's around 15%. In the mining sector, it's way lower. Now, in this new arrangement, the government is telling us that the free carried interest, in this case, is 13%. So by that, it means that government or Ghana is about a 13% shareholder of, 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 of the mine or of whatever comes out. And a few other things. You know, there's a 1% community development fund. The communities are also calling for a few things. We will get into that and see how government and then the company involved uh, can work to secure what we call the, the social license so the, the, the locals do not disturb them when they come there to mine. Mind you, they will bear the brand, the environmental social brand of that. So they need to know what's happening and they need to be generally made comfortable when it comes to uh, the matter of the mining proper. Uh, so Dennis, if, if you are ready, uh, we can hear you. Yes. Thank you very much, Salam. Um, please let me know when you can, you're able to see my screen. Yes, yes, we can see. Okay, thank you very much. And let me say uh, good morning once again and thank um, the entire country for also being more active in this conversation. In fact, this has been one of the interesting and active conversations around our extractive sector. And we are also um, grateful that these conversations would get to a point where it makes some of our arguments stronger and the decisions you make about our extractive sector even much more deeper going into the future. So one of the things that we, we, we started was that why has lithium become so important? And in my earlier conversation, I mentioned that it is going to be one of the critical minerals that we need to support our transition to the green economy. Another issue too is that lithium is not new. It had been known all these years, but as far back as the early part of the 20th century, we started finding other good uses of lithium, especially in the area of ceramics, grease, met uh, metallurgical activities, and especially in rechargeable batteries. And so you see that consistently, the role of lithium uh, in rechargeable or rechargeable batteries are becoming the, the, the dominant use of lithium in, 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 in the energy transition space. And so now lithium has a broad use of applicability, but one of the main uses of lithium is the uh, rechargeable batteries. In fact, experts have also projected based on a bit of historical figures. If you look at when lithium uh, ion started to be used to produce batteries for electric vehicles, as far back as 2006, it occupied just 22% share of the uh, batteries for EV space. But over time, now, it is almost 85% of the batteries for electrical vehicle uh, industry. And that lithium is the main uh, critical mineral that is going into the production of these batteries uh, for electric vehicles. And in future, by 2026, it is expected that it will reach about 90%. If you go a bit back in history, you see that since 1995 to 2021, lithium production has increased from about 9,000 tons per, uh, every year to now about over 106,000 tons, which is almost about 10 times increase in its production. That is because of its multiple use and its increased utilization in lithium uh, in, in batteries for electric vehicles. And so experts even project that by 2050, lithium will become the main mineral influencing the energy transition, especially in the area of uh, storage batteries for the electric vehicles and other industries. Although there are other critical minerals 
But if you look at the potential of these minerals, lithium has a very strong potential than other minerals by 2050. And that is one of the reasons why we believe that if we have identified this mineral in commercial quantity, the agreement and the policy framework that influence how we benefit from this lithium must be structured in a way that protects the state interest and ensure that when the market changes, the state benefit from it and we also minimize our exposure uh, to risk because it is, it, is, it is going to be a profitable, uh, let's say, industry. Even though the market is nascent, the predictions are showing that there's going to be one of the stronger critical minerals going into the future. But, Salam, there's one uh, issue with lithium that it is different from other metals. One of the things is that lithium is not like gold. You see that in our history, we have uh, a good understanding of gold, uh, bauxite, and manganese because over the years, these have been the metals that we've produced and their structure. But if you look at the critical mineral space, for example, and a key example is lithium, it is different. The difference is that if you take gold and you refine it, you are only increasing the purity, but not getting anything outside of it. But if you look at, in the case of, of lithium, if you pick the raw for um, spodumene concentrate, now this is how the lithium looks like. What we have in Ghana is what we call the pegmatite. That is the rock formation. Now, when you break the pegmatite, you get the spodumene concentrate, and that is what we call the raw lithium. And when you process the, the spodumene concentrate, then you get byproducts like lithium oxide, lithium hydroxide. And it is this lithium carbonate, lithium hydroxide, that is able to get you to the point where, when they are combined with other critical minerals, you get to the end of the value chain where you are producing batteries, pharmaceuticals, uh, glass, and the ceramic industry. So producing lithium in its, in its own self, um, it, it's not in itself, like other metals. It, it, you don't get the, the benefit by just producing the raw concentrate. And we've seen examples in countries like Zimbabwe who did not take some of these steps to ensure that they, they think in the long haul. And so the thinking must be that if you look at the broad aspect of the value chain, where can we position ourselves to be strong? And we saw that if you look at the lithium uh, space, it is the end of the value chain where you make more money. For example, the batteries area. And so the aim is to ensure that all your policy and planning must get you to uh, the point where you are refining the spodumene concentrate, that is the raw lithium, to get the lithium carbonate or hydroxide, where you can combine it with other critical minerals to produce your batteries. And we show that if you look at across the world, it is not only lithium that is getting us to the batteries. No. Producing lithium alone cannot get you to the end chain where you are producing batteries and uh, ceramics and other things. But it is combined with other critical minerals like cobalt, iron phosphate, ma uh, manganese, and others. Now to produce that battery or to get you to the end of the value chain, that is higher. And analysts estimate that by processing your spodumen concentrate or by processing the raw lithium to get something like lithium hydroxide, uh, uh, lithium oxide, and lithium carbonate, you are able to capture as high as 30% of the overall market, which is different from other um, uh, commodities where by refining it, you are only improving its purity. And so and in, in, in those commodities too, there are already established markets for them. But if you look at the lithium, it is when you move higher the value chain, that is where the money is. And that is why the government has been emphasizing on refinery. And that is why we have also reinforced that position that 
the refinery aspect should even be carefully crafted because that is where we want to get to. Well, where we want to get to is to get to this point where we are at the battery um, value chain. And so we must ensure that our broader industrialization strategy, our chemical industry strategy is repositioning the sense that there are other critical minerals that we may have identified in Ghana or within the West Africa sub-region that we can leverage to get us into this higher end of the chain. For example, graphite has been uh, discovered in, in Ghana. And graphite is one of the key minerals. And if you look at the projections, that you see that graphite is the third mineral that is going to shape the energy transition in terms of uh, technology like battery storage and other things. And so if we have discovered graphite, it means that we must reposition ourselves in a way that we'll be able to leverage all of these metals to get us to the higher end of the chain. And so that is how different lithium is from the uh, other metals. Another thing too is that by refining the spodumen concentrate, that is the raw lithium, you are able to also get higher margins. And so you can see that if you look at the graph on the left, the, spodumen, the price of the spodumen as a percentage of the uh, lithium hydroxide price, you see it was just as of June 2022, just about nine, uh, a little up to about 9% of, of the total share of the lithium hydroxide. And so if you are producing only concentrate, you virtually make nothing. But when you move higher and higher of the chain, that is where you make money. And when you get into the hydroxide level and even the lithium carbonate level, that is where we say that you're able to capture a higher margin of the market of about, about 30% of the uh, battery market. Even though you are not even producing battery, you've entered that space and that's where you make more money. Despite all the potential of lithium and its usefulness, one of the issues that we must also we think that we must pay attention to is that it is a relatively new market. There's little that is known uh, about it is still developing. We don't know much, and and uh, as a result of the fact that it is a new market, it, the price the pricing structure in that market is highly volatile. So let me use this analogy. If you look at gold, there's already an established market for gold, and so you can do some predictions of gold pricing and know, and that can shape also the project economics. And so when you pick gold, you know that if I take the gold and go to the world market, I can get this pricing because there's already an established market and I can fix this pricing in my agreement. But if you look at lithium, the market is so fluid and the market is highly volatile that the prices can decline and rise at any time. And if you look at between November 2022 and September 2023, what we saw in the market is that the price of um, lithium hydroxide declined from $81,000 per ton to about $16,500. In fact, if you look at the project economics by the, uh, by the contractor, what, what you would observe is that the pricing that they use to make the calculations uh, in terms of the definitive feasibility studies, that price has even declined. And so given the, the um, volatility of the lithium market in terms of pricing, that is why we believe that the country must reposition itself, or in terms of the way we think about the future, the way we think about the long term, conditions within the agreement, that ensures that if the market goes up, we benefit. If the market comes down, we are able to protect ourselves from exposure to uh, the, the risk in the, the market because it is still a complex and developing market. And that is why we believe that if you are operating in such a market, and that's why I've given this context as to how the lithium market look like. And so if you're operating in such market, that has a high potential, but it is so volatile in terms of it pricing, 
then you must ensure that your policy, your strategy, as well as your agreement, take cognizance of all of these market dynamics. Now, what we know is that the green mineral policy influenced the terms of the agreement. However, that green mineral policy has never been published, and nobody knows what went into it. And so we are unsure whether the green mineral policy takes cognizance of all of these dynamics in the market. Another point that we also um, we have we have observed is that cabinet approved the agreement in its current state because there was this argument that there's lack of geological information. We didn't we, di we didn't have enough or sufficient data to tell how much deposit there was at Ewea. But if you go deep into our history, you see that over the years we have already known that there were lithium deposits or the the, uh, the deposits in that area, and so the potential of lithium uh, was there. Another point is that if you look at Atlantic Lithium's own disclosure in 2017, it made a disclosure that suggests that they already knew that there was lithium in that place and that they disclosed that they have made something like a lithium find. And that showed that already they bought into um, a, a, an existing search for lithium that had already discovered. And there is also research history that demonstrated that that area had potential or that area has some form of lithium there. And so the fact that argument that we didn't have sufficient data to tell that there was lithium there. We believe that it's not that strong to make the case that because of that, that's why we put the agreement in its um, current form. But we look at what other people are also doing. If you look at countries like India, they also do not have that rate of information about how much lithium they have. But recently, they gave up some 20 blocks of critical minerals uh, through auction. And we believe that we could have also uh, tried that route and the reason they did that is that when you go by the uh, route of auction, you draw the interest of other private sector and other places to your market. You don't close that space to just a single company that you are working with. That you open it up to others also to come and see what you have, and that can also shape the, the conversation and the discussion. And so, it is not entirely the case that you need a strong data or some strong geological data before you can experiment this auction, because other people have done it before. And so the reason why they uh, approved that, we believe that it was not a strong case. Another argument that the, the government also made was that oh, uh, over the years or currently, the highest royalty that mining companies have paid is about 5%. And so cabinet set uh, a floor that at least the royalty in that agreement should be about 7.5%. And so the government believe that the ability to negotiate it up to 10%, they have done a great job and they should be applauded for that. But we also look deeply in that and say that we, look, we know our history when it comes to some of these uh, royalty arguments, and that it's not entirely the case that this is the best deal ever that the country has, um, has entered into that. In the past, there's been other such deals like, like that that we throw more light. And let me share a brief about the, what we call the, the project economics. And so if you look at the, the mine, I'll just touch on just these four pointers. The mine life is about 12 years. The project upfront up cost, that is the uh, upfront capital that is needed to develop and produce, it's about 185 million, less than 200 million. And the uh, private sector, the concessionaire, explains that if it, and this is their definitive feasibility study. What this means is that this is their final assessment of what is there and how much they, are, they expect to recover, how much they expect to make from this whole mine and all of that. And they expect to recover their cost in about 19 months, which means that this is also a bit of an early cost recovery project. 
And that means that if you combine the definitive feasibility study of the company to the industry dynamics that I've just presented, it tells you that one, the company will recover costs much more faster. And also, if you compare to the dynamics in terms of pricing and the, the, the market, the fact that you must get to the carbonate, lithium carbonate and lithium oxide to combine with others before you get to the higher end of the chain and make money. We must make sure that in our thinking about this agreement, we, we, we expand the way we see this and go for much more, some sort of uh, a, a, a very strong argument where we are able to go beyond the, the, the usual or the, the, the normal or think more broadly about this and not close our imaginations to what we couldn't do in the past. And so if we get to this point, it appears that it is okay. And so we are saying that some much more broader thinking must go into the way we've constructed some of the terms. And these are the key terms of the agreement. Royalty rates of a flat 10%, then 1% growth and sustainability levy, 1% community development uh, agreement, then 13% free carrying interest. That is, when the, uh, the government will have 13% free interest in the company, that means that we won't contribute any money for that 13%. Then again, we also want MIF. MIF will buy 6% of the local company and 3% in the parent company. And so that will put government participation to about 19%. And the government policy is that they are expecting about 30% participation. And so the, the citizens or local participants or any other uh, person in the country could also go in and buy the remaining about 11%. And the reason why they make this flat rate of uh, flat 10% royalty argument is that over the years, nobody has paid even up to uh, or above 5%. And we believe that the fact that nobody has done it before doesn't mean that we can't do it now or we can't go beyond that. But if you go deeper into our mining history, we're able to discover some information that showed that this 30% participation and 10% royalty is not, the, it's, it's not unprecedented or it's not the best thing that has ever happened to us. And that if you go as far back as 1970, there was a time where there was a government policy that made government um, participation in gold mining, some gold mining concession, to a rate of about 55%. And we see that in the documented report, as I've captured in, uh, on, on my right side, that there's a report that has been captured in history that, yes, government, and it wasn't through nationalization. Some argument that people make is that all of them were through express nationalization of these mines. But we see in some historical evidence that not all of these were nationalization. And at some point, some were negotiation. We also cite the, uh, the example of Asante Gold Corporation in this time, where the equity stake of government was 20%, as well as an opportunity to negotiate an option for, to acquire furthermore 20%, which shows that then we have done some of these things before in the past. We also cited the example of the Konongo uh, Gold Project, where government had a state help, a state participation was about 30%. And if we look at the regulation in 1987, that even included a windfall arrangement that could take your royalties to about 12%. So which shows that if you go deep into our history, these things and what we have now, the agreement we have access, it's not unprecedented. It has happened before. We've had some of these things before. And that's why we, want, we went deeper to find out in history, are there incidences where there, were, there wasn't nationalization, but we're able to negotiate for a much more higher terms. Yes, then, then we find that this example shows that it's, it, it is not a case of nationalization, but the state was able to negotiate that. But the reason...
point where we never crossed this 5% royalty rate was that the state could not hold its side of its participation. Poor fiscal management and politics and other issues did not put the state in the right position where it could manage all of these things to a point where they will keep its higher participation. That is why we got to a point where now royalties were, uh, were below about 5%. But if you look at the 87 regulation, we still made arrangements where we could push the royalties to about 12%. And the reason why we are thinking that we should have expanded the way we look at the royalties in the lithium agreement is that I've just shown you that the market is very dynamic and our royalties is tied to the sales of, of the mine output. That is either the uh, lithium carbonate or lithium, lithium oxide. And so what we are arguing is that if the prices rise sharply, as we have seen before, before I think somewhere between March 2021 and June 2022, between and also between March 2022 and June 2022, you see a sharp rise in the, in, in the price of uh, lithium oxide. And that shows you that there are times where the market can give a higher price. And so while there is a higher price, we should, we should have provisions within the agreement that ensure that when there is an upside in the market, we are also able to benefit from the, uh, from the, from the windfall. And that is our argument, that let us not tie ourselves to this 10% because we think that in, 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 in the Fourth Republic, nobody has paid about uh, more than 5% uh, of royalty. And we say that money did not start in the Fourth Republic. And so let's have a holistic argument and, and, and have a more wider perspective about the way we look at the royalties, particularly because our royalties is tied to the mine output or the sales. And so if the price are high and we produce, then it means that we are going to get higher royalties. So we should put, uh, we should set what we call a floor and that the lowest royalty is 10%, but there are additions for when for where, what we call the variable royalty, so that if the price changes, or if, if the price changes, we are also able to benefit from the upside. And all of these are arrangements that we think that we don't find in the current agreement assets. And that if we're able to expand our thinking and our argument into uh, the debate that will go on in Parliament, we should consider some of these things like variable royalty rates. Another argument that the government makes is that if you look across our, 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 our peers in the sub-region and across the world, we have a relatively higher royalty rate than uh, most of them, except for Chile, that that's a range of between 8 to 26 percent. And so they compare Ghana to uh, Mali and, 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 and Zimbabwe. And let me pick the case of Mali. And so what our argument is that it is good to do some of these comparator arguments. But then if we are doing some of this argument, we must make sure that we explore the full scenario. Now, what this argument does is that it goes to the country and picks the country's template fiscal regime. And when you say template fiscal regime, that is its broader framework of fiscal regime when it comes to royalties, corporate income taxes, and free and, and current participating and, and current interest. That means that this is the broader framework. However, mind by mind may have different fiscal arrangements. And in our case, we've shown that there are certain companies that have development agreements and also investor agreements that does not allow them to pay even the current royalty rate of 5%. And so this... Uh, argument that this royalty rate is higher than some of our peers who are even bigger miners when it comes to the lithium argument. We say that it is not the entire entire uh, entire case because this is their standard. But if you look at it mind by mind, you see that they have separate arrangement, just as we have separate arrangement for mining companies. And so let's explore it into, in, in, into the bigger picture. And when you pick the case of Mali, what you see is that 
In 2023, the government hinted that it was going to pass, and when the junta took over, the, the, the junta made announcement that it was going to pass a new mining law that could boost the state's participation to about 35%. And so that argument that our uh, participation uh, in, in, in mine, this is the best and uh, cannot be found in anywhere. We say that just around the corner in Mali, there's a, a new mining code, a new mining code has been passed to law that is expected to push the state's participation to about 35%. And so even if we have a higher royalty rate than them, their participation is also higher. And so when we are looking at these com uh, comparisons, we should look at it in a holistic view or in, in terms of uh, the, the broader sense. We shouldn't just compare just one side of it. Then we also look at the company that is involved in that uh, Gulumani mines in Mali called Leo Lithium. What happened is that the moment the government passed that new law, the company's shares in the Australian Stock Exchange was suspended. The reason why it was suspended is that they believed that they couldn't provide significant information to the Australian Stock Exchange to show that the changes happening in Mali, what is the potential effect? Because what happens is that this could reduce the participation of Leo Lithium and wouldn't make them even the lead um, uh, uh, partner within the agreement. And so we say that if you look at it broadly, even in our own case, not every mining company pays some of this royalty rates that uh, we have. And across the sub-region, they are also introducing other dynamics aimed at increasing the, the state's participation and share in their, in, the, in their lithium agreement. And so ours is not entirely the best that we have never seen in anywhere uh, in, in the sub-region or in the world. We say that there are other examples like this that are also coming up. The other argument that we also make around the royalties is that you know that our royalties is tied to the sales. And because Atlantic Lithium is a relatively smaller company, that it couldn't raise significant money uh, through its uh, floating stocks, it got money from Piedmont and uh, from Piedmont to invest in it all development activities that it's doing because it doesn't want to take on debt. And the argument is that because Piedmont gave them the money and has shares in, in the company, 50% of the mine output has been allocated already to Piedmont. Because in this market, in most cases, some, what, what some of these smaller markets, like what we have in, in Ghana and smaller players do, is that they find someone who will be ready to offtake your, your production. And in our case, it's Piedmont. Even though the offtake agreement has not been uh, uh, signed or agreed by the Minerals Commission and the um, Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources. Yeah, so, 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 Dennis, um, yeah, just hold it there for me for, for a moment. Okay. I, I want to, we're enjoying your presentation. We want to take a short break. I'll come back and give you about some five minutes, some five minutes to, to wrap up. So we, 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 we see, we interrogate some of the matters, okay? So this is the oh. big issue. Uh, my guest, uh, Dr. Rashid Purple, uh, member of parliament for West Central, former member of, former minister of many portfolios. Um, Dennis Asari, senior researcher in energy economics, Imani, who has been doing some presentation to us on Imani's position on the uh, lithium mining agreement. We have uh, Dr. Steve Mantia, who, is here to speak, and Martin, ACC of the Minerals Commission. We'll deal with a lot of these matters when we return from this short break. Don't worry. Hi, you're welcome back to the big issue, uh, 97.3 City FM. We are live also on our socials. Uh, this morning, we are looking at some two issues. One has to do with the lithium uh, mining agreement, and we're asking whether Ghana has a good deal or not. A number of things have been said or has been said about the deal or the arrangement. People think something, or people, some people think that uh, it's the best ever we've had. Others think that it could be better, given that this is a new 
area of mining, the green minerals we are uh, moving into. So we need to use this opportunity to correct all the wrongs of the past. Ghana is a mining good for over a century. And the argument is that there's very little to show for it and that a lot of these mining leases or agreements have been colonial in nature. Uh, the proponents of this mining lease for the green economy or the green minerals, uh, lithium specifically, say that it's a departure from the colonial kind of agreement because this time around we have what we call a value addition to the extent that a plant will have to be set up in Ghana to process uh, the, the mineral so it, it is not shipped out in the raw form as we've seen with, with, with a lot of other minerals. People also think that the provisions or the language in the agreement in respect of the establishment of a plant is not, is not tight enough. The language could be clearer and better. And it could be made mandatory, but as it is, it is not, uh, which raises quite a few questions. Um, Imani has spoken extensively on this. Uh, Fuchikata and Kofians have written extensively on this. The Minerals Commission has been speaking. The minister has also been very active, Abu Jinapur, trying to explain the issues, saying that it's the best ever we've seen, even though maybe along the line there could be uh, improvements made to the agreement. The agreement is here to get to parliament, though, by the constitutional you know, dictates. Such agreements must necessarily go for ratification in parliament. We don't know what parliament will do when this agreement comes to them. We don't know what they can even do about it and what the company involved will do, etc., etc. But when you read uh, um, uh, globally, you realize that the, uh, the lithium Atlantic or Atlantic lithium is, is which is a mother company or the, 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 the mother company of the Barari DV is quite excited about the Awoya uh, mine and what prospects it holds for their operations generally. So um, it appears there's quite some a number of good prospects that both sides, Ghana and, and the, the, the partner, the co company, uh, expect to, to, to see or get. Uh, this is our discussion. My guest this morning, Dr. Uh, Rashid Purple and uh, um, Dr. Steve Mantel, Dennis Asari, uh, Martin Aisi, and then also Alex Mpabi, a tax analyst, Dr. Alex Mpabi a tax analyst will be helping us understand these issues. Before we went for that break, though, Dennis Asari uh, of Imani was um, towards the tail end of his presentation. And I emphasize the tail end, Dennis, so, so that we, we quickly uh, look at some of the issues he's, he's been uh, raising. So Dennis, uh, you, you, may, you may conclude. Thank you very much. I'll touch on about three things, then uh, we'll conclude and get into the conversation. And before we want for the break, what I was saying is that because Piedmont invested into uh, Atlantic Lithium, and, and out of that, 50% of the output has been awarded to them. The argument that we are making is that because lithium is not yet a big deal and there's not that of uh, an already established market out there, in terms of pricing, even though the optical agreement has not been approved by the ministry or the minerals committee, but we are saying that given that there's not already an established market out there, there should be an independent price, price benchmarking in the agreement that ensures that in terms of de determining the optical agreement between Piedmont and Atlantic Lithium, we are going to ensure that we, we do a very good price benchmarking to ensure that we are not um, searching because our royalties are directly tied to uh, the, the sales from the mine. And that is why we, we believe that having that flexibility in your royalties help you to do all of this. And India does some of this independent price benchmarking, which we think that if we sit and plan carefully, we could come up with some arrangements like that in the agreement. Another point that we also raise is that Given the volatility or complexity of the market, 
In finance, one of the things that have come up is the use of real options. And what this simply does is that it gives you some flexibility to control your exposure to risk. And so if we include real options in the agreement, what, what that does is that in terms of uh, even the royalty, it gives us some flexibility that if the mining um, activity gets to this uh, threshold, for example, the project is expected to recover costs in 19 months, according to the DFS, that is the definitive feasibility studies. That means that cost recovery will be much more faster. After the cost recovery, what, what happens to us? If the market is so strong and the mine is even much more profitable, put in some flexibility, that gives you much more participation in the agreement, as well as even flexible um, royalty rate. That helps you to also benefit from the upside. Another argument while we're also proposing that some real options can be brought into the agreement is that we don't know what will happen to lithium because of the complexity of the market. There are other minerals that are also coming up strongly, like magnesium and sodium, that may highly compete with lithium. And so because of those uncertainties, putting some structures that protect you in terms of limiting your exposure to risk, as well as also create some room for you to benefit from the upside. Another thing is that there's an increasing surge in lithium batteries recycling, which means that potentially in the near future, there may not be significant high production of lithium-ion batteries because of the push for circular economy. And so if you see the graph on the, the, on the lower part of my right, you see a consistent increase in the availability of lithium-ion batteries for recycling. That means that people are pushing for more recycling. And if you see the yellow one is the light EVs, electrical vehicle and lithium-ion batteries. That means that if this market becomes stronger, currently the lithium batteries recycling market is about $3.2 billion. By 2030, in just about seven years, experts estimate that it will be about $15 billion, which means that if the market becomes even more profitable and goes strongly, there will be more lithium uh, recycled batteries than freshly produced ones. And that could affect the pricing, given the strong volatility of the pricing market. That's why you must put in some stronger real options that protect you. And the other thing that let me quickly jump to is that, apart from the carried interest that we are getting, MIF is also taking our royalty money to also invest in this project, about 6% in, in, in the local company and 3% uh, outside. But some arguments that MIF makes, we believe that for an investment that has not even been done, to claim that you have made capital gains by comparing the stock prices from the time you bought it and after you bought it, we believe that then by that same measure, if you compare that time that you bought it compared to about 13 December 2023, and given that the price of 0 0.255, then you have also lost, then it means that that's, uh, th that share that we bought has also lost uh, some value because the, the, firm, the share price has also declined. But we believe that that is not how it is done and that there should be some constructive analysis to argue why this AWEA project is very profitable that uh, MIF should use our royalties money from other mining activities to invest into it. Another also inconsistency is that we are a bit unclear as to the value of the asset. At some point in time, MIF put out a statement that it is 1.4 billion. At another point in time, it says the asset is about 691 million. And all of these um, valuations go into determining whether you should invest in all of that. And if you look, if you have the investment experts, they tell you that some of these valuations are important. And so if we are not clear as to the true value of that asset, because Piedmont that has invested and has about 50% in that, values the uh, asset around 360 million. And so we should be clear, or some information must come for us to understand how it myth 
come or arrive at this capital gains that they put out there. Again, there was also this argument that when uh, Ashori wanted to buy Atlantic Lithium for a share price of 33 cents, they put out a statement that because of that valuation, the, the, the project's value has increased about 691 0.6 million and so MIF's investment has also increased from the initial 27.9 million to about 41.5 million for just 86 percent representing about almost 50 percent increase in the value and we say that that proposal to even by Atlantic Detail was not even approved by the board and so this has not happened and so we uh, we encourage that MIF should come up with a strong argument that shows why that this is important and this is very profitable and beneficial for us to invest in. Currently, there's a bit of inf in, uh, misinformation or inconsistencies, let me say that, in the information being put out there. And also, there are also opportunities to even buy, further buy more shares in the future if the company is profitable. And we believe that. We have seen that before. When before some mining companies got, for example, uh, I think it's the gold field, when it goes into the international market, where we had a higher participation, but because of poor fiscal conditions and lack of government's commitment to invest and meet the cash costs for that investment, our shares have been diluted so much that now we have just about 0.1%, less than even 1% in, 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 in that same investment. Because of these issues, let us be mindful in, uh, in how we package this whole uh, participation into the AOA project and make sure that we strategically plan our investments so much that we are able to protect ourselves from some of these occurrences that have happened before. And there are also issues in the refinery, and that's the, the last thing I want to touch on that. Yes, there is also a commitment that the benefit is in the refinery. And so there are conditions that the company will establish a refinery upon conducting a scoping study. But there are no clear timelines or clear conditions that say that if the refinery economics uh, reaches this threshold, reaches this maybe profitability threshold, then it is compulsory that you must build a refinery. And we believe that if this scoping study had been done before writing the agreement, we could have come up with a much more stringent clauses around the refinery. Because earlier on, I mentioned that if you don't get to the level where you are producing the lithium um, carbonate and lithium oxide, that will get you closer to the battery value chain by combining other minerals. You will make nothing from producing just uh, the concentrate. That's why the government is strong on the case that it doesn't want to export the concentrate because there's no money in that, uh, in that chain. But we must also be clear, what, what, what is our strategy? There are other critical minerals that can also push us higher into this battery value chain like graphite. There are also even within the sub-region like Togo that has phosphate. And you know that lithium-ion phosphate batteries are doing even better than the, the, the manganese, uh, nickel, manganese, cobalt ones. And so is there a strategy that we want to position ourselves so that we leverage the graphite and the other uh, critical minerals in the sub-region that can help us get to this high end of the value chain? We're able to combine all of that. That is what we have not seen. So we don't know our strategy. And so we don't know where are we going from. Yeah, there are a lot of unanswered questions around this whole refinery. We all agree that that is what we need, but there are a lot more unanswered questions. And as I mentioned, there are also opportunities for cross-border. Togo has phosphates in large quantities that it only focuses on fertilizer. We have lithium, uh, graphite, and others that could be combined to get into the battery value chain. How are we repositioning ourselves in the sub-region to be a key player when it comes to the higher end of the chain? And so our key messages is that the royalty provision assets put a flat rate of 10%, but we look at the market dynamics and propose that the flat rate should be the flat 
um, arrangement as we have now should be like a floor that the minimum royalty is 10 percent but if the project economics becomes more profitable there's a variable royalty rate that can help us also get more for example, if the prices are high then let's also explore creative options that where there are risks in in the market the option that we put some conditions in there help us to protect us ourselves from the volatilities and uncertainties in the market and we also have to be much more stronger about the argument make is putting out. Let's use stronger uh, analysis, look, uh, consult the experts, and make sure that this investment, we are making a good argument and that we are putting out sound uh, argument why MIF should get into this investment. Because it is our royalty money that could have gone into school, roads, and other things, but we believe that we are putting it in for the future. And so the returns must be great. And we must have some tighter conditions when it comes to this whole chemical refinery, particularly getting our strategy right for the refinery. And so we want to know, if we are a refinery, what is the chemical strategy? Is it we want oxide or we want carbonate? There are a lot of questions that we are asking, and our objective is that through these questions, we elicit the responses that in future, when Parliament sits and considers the agreement, they are able to stamp an agreement that is so strong, robust, and is able to survive the dynamics in the market. So thank you very much, Selom, and I would like to hand over now. Thank you. Over. <laughs> thank you so much, Dennis. Quite a comprehensive uh, uh, piece you, you've given us there. Um, uh, I'll, I'll come back to you with a few questions, but I just want to engage uh, um, Honorable Purple as well uh, um, on, on his views on some, on some of the matters. Of course, the NDC earlier in the week also came up with a position um, on what they think of the lithium uh, mining agreement. And Honorable will espouse that it will help us understand that position really uh, and what the NDC wants. If the NDC was in power, what they would have done differently, or should they come to power in, in 2025? what they would do about this particular arrangement and the lithium uh, 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 mines or lithium discovery, etc., or the green uh, minerals generally. So, Honorable, we've heard what Imani has said. Uh, I'm sure you've heard what other people too have said. What is the NDC's position really on, on this matter? The NDC has also been speaking about this. What is the, the government of the NDC argument? Well, first of all, um, let, me, let me just say a thank you to Imani for what they have done. Very, very um, elaborates in examining the agreement and agreeing mostly with us in the views we have projected around. Mm. First of all, in the issue which is projected largely by government, that there is a different type of arrangement and that there is going to be a chemical plant and you know is going to increase the our extent of hold on the value chain, it's been disputed. And I think that um, we need to firm up that agreement. Mm. It shouldn't, have, it shouldn't be a mandatory process, which depends on the viability, economic viability of the mining process. It, it, it should be something that is firm, and we know that this is how it is. The agreement should be specific. And so, I, so it should be mandatory that a, a, a chemical plant will be set up? It should be set up, okay. because it's not only in, in one place that they, they have found this. You know, it's all over. Mm. They have found lithium all over. And it was found not just right now, it was found since 1962 mm. in Ghana. So there should be a progress towards changing the process by which we relate with investors. It's not going to be um, a weaker side negotiating with a stronger side. Mm. We are the stronger side and not the weaker side. So this agreement, this agreement that... How are we the stronger side? Because we have the resource. We they, have they, the resource. They put in the, they, they put in the, the money. To, to explore, and they are now going to explore. We don't even have the technical 
expertise to, to do the exploitation. So we may have the mineral, the mineral may be there, we may be needing, we'll be in need of money, but because we don't have the resources or the expertise to mine it, it will be there. It is so, wrong for us to always argue mm. and present ourselves in the, as a weaker point mm. in an agreement. Mm. And that's often why um, don't get lots of these things are imposed on us and mm. we begin to argue amongst ourselves. Mm. We are not the weaker side. Mm. We can change the company. I see. So that tells you that if the company is interested, mm. they should listen to us. Okay. And um, so, so definitely it is something that we need to uh, look at seriously. But again, the whole concept of the agreement that allows us to go beyond the uh, earlier 5% we had dealt with in gold mining is a framework set by the John Bahama administration. Mm. You know, can you, remember, can, you, can, you, can you remember it? And, and is it not disgusting that we made our mining laws them ourselves and then imposed on ourselves that we cannot take royalties between uh, beyond 6%. Can you imagine? Mm. We ourselves, picking from the colonial regime, what they imposed on us, we made it into a law. Mm. When John Muhammad came, he said, no. Let's open it up and let's make it open-ended so that we can negotiate beyond that. They should recognize that it is this NDC that you know <laughs> we, are, we are dealing with today as a clear alternative to what the MPP is doing. That has brought about this issue of creating a value beyond what we impose on ourselves mm. by amending the mining law, you know, in 20, um, 2007, in 2015, we amended the law. But again, the NDC position is that we want to find out what, who, are, who, who, who are the previous owners of the land. Mm. And of the land, of okay. the land, the, the land, you know, there, there's a 4.4 percent equity given to the previous owners of the land. Who are they? We want to be very clear as to who are the beneficiaries of this. Mm. Who are the ones who are going to benefit out of it? We want the, in this matter, matters have to be very, very clear. You know, nothing should be hidden. If you are doing this kind of a law, and you are keeping things away from the public knowledge then it creates much more problems than we imagine. Mm. But generally, I mean, you can see that there are a lot of issues coming up. So many people are projecting views into this and proposing solutions to the agreement that we sign and contradicting the minister's position that it is the best we have gotten so far. Mm. It is not a lie that it is, it is one of the best so far. One of them, not mm. the best. And that um, we've moved beyond a certain point. But that is not the finality of it. Mm. It should be the beginning of much more to happen. Mm. And he should listen to the issues that are coming up. Um, to, to be satisfied with this shows that we think we can't go beyond it. Look, there are two issues that have come up in all these discussions. First of all, this is not an everlasting situation where we will always have lithium. Mm. And because of the possibility of increased technology. We can have the lithium and we can, we can lose price for it. Yeah. A manager just found that it is the there's a possibility of a renewal of the existing batteries when they are made. Mm -hmm. So if they have gotten to that, the world has gotten to that technology, you can have your lithium in, on the ground, but the ones you have sold and made into batteries can always be renewed. renewed. 
So because of that, you must do very, very um, reliable, beneficial policy agreements and, and uh, agreements that will enable you to earn much more. Because it's a short-term, it might just be a short-term venture. The second is that we might exhaust our, 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 our deposit of lithium, lithium within the space of time. And what would you have gained? Hmm. Nothing. So in, in this case, the Awoya community, for example, I mean, the, the lifespan of the mine is 12 years, we understand. Yes. And uh, the, the, there's a 1% community development fund also, which goes to the community. This hasn't been the practice in previous uh, mining agreements or leases. That is quite some progress. So the community is going to get some 1%, whatever that is, for whatever purpose perhaps the community uh, wants to use it for. That is quite some progress for the community. Yes, it is indeed for the community. But you see, what we are saying is that if you arrive at any situation, don't underestimate the value of knowledge mm. of the Ghanaian subjected to further discussion. You may gain more. Mm. Yeah, don't assume that, which is very peculiar with the MPP, the assumption that they know better and when they believe in something, they go ahead and do it, despite mm. um, superior views that might come out. We say that, look, subject all these things to further discussions, we may gain met better. Mm. And again, there is a belief that the company registered under the Ghana Free Zone Authority, if, Ghana, if they have registered under the Ghana Free Zone Authority, it means that for 10 years, we'll be going without taxing them. They'll be tax-free. Mm. And for 10 years, they, will be, they won't be taxes. All the taxes we are thinking about, the 10%, the, the, the 10 percent, uh, sorry, um, the 35%. The 35%, every, all, all those things that result into taxation and earnings will be reduced or will be non-existent for the next 10 years. Mm. So let's examine that also further and see that, look, Ghana is not just losing because we are relating with these people in terms of uh, an agreement that will enable them to come into the country and sink their machines into the system and begin extracting these uh, minerals. So... I, I think that um, the minister should come again. Mm. Um, we appreciate the fact that he has shown some commitment of seeking to go beyond the existing uh, rules and existing agreements, but it shouldn't be the finality of it all. And I'm happy it's going to come to Parliament, mm -hmm. and we are going to have a thorough discussion on it. So, Parliament cannot change the agreements mm -hmm. per se, but Parliament can suggest changes. Mm. and give the agreement back to the minister to go and effect the changes and bring it back for approval. Or endorse subject to changes A, B, C, D. Mm. And we give it back to him to go and do the changes. Of course. So I was about asking what parliament can do, really. You have to ratify or make suggestions yeah. and all of that. Yeah. But the matter, the agreement is not come before parliament. We have a sense of when it will come to parliament. Yeah. I, I, does parliament know or does parliament have a sense of when the agreement will eventually come? We, we don't have the sense of that. Mm. It is a choice of the minister to bring it to parliament. Mm. Until it is brought to parliament constitutionally, it doesn't exist. Mm. So it is, it is important for him to quickly do so, uh, given the apparent speedy way they want to do it, it, it should come to parliament mm. and we should examine it. Um, they, they, I believe there are areas we can agree with him. But there will, be, there will be so many other areas we will subject to further discussions and suggestions because we think that Ghana should be the beneficiary in all this. 
it doesn't take away the benefit of a company that is coming in. Mm. But the old conceptual agreement that allows companies to see Ghana, to see um, our resources as a gift to them, must be disputed, you know, mm. must be, must be cancelled. So that we don't have this situation of a third world country or a poor, unenlightened country with a small company, a very, very small company compared to other bigger companies in the world just moving here, access to sign an agreement which is beneficial more to them than to us. They extract the gold or the minerals and walk away smiling. Mm. And we're sitting here um, with, 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 with a lot of pain. I, I go to Obwasi, I go to um, Dakwa. Dakwa, and I see the misery all over. I see the roads that are unconstructed. I see the people looking poor and hungry in a place where a lot of wealth is being extracted. It is a summary of what we receive as, as Ghanaian people. And I think that the NDC will want to see something gone beyond, something beyond this. Other than that, um, there won't be any reason why we should, we, should, we should give out this very, very valuable mineral, which is going to be a face of the change of the new technology in Ghana and how we run our machines. The green technology, which is now being imposed on us by ourselves. Remember what came out of COP this year. COP has made very, very strong position. Mm. And for the first time, the world has come to such a position mm. that we move away from using fossil fuel into green uh, energy to enable the world save, to save the world from the totality of damage of climate change. Mm, I see. Uh, this is a big issue. Uh, we are 97.3 City FM we are on TV, on our socials as well. We're looking at uh, the mining lease agreement and uh, trying to interrogate some of the matters uh, I mean, coming there from. Imani's position has been made clear. They think a few more things need to be done about it. Uh, the NDC has also made its position clear. And uh, of course, it will get to parliament. But uh, Rashid Purple, doctor, uh, MP for West Central, is just telling us that they, they really need to interrogate it. They, they cannot change it, but they can only make suggestions. Uh, so the agreement is, is, is really looked at, uh, or they can ratify it. So, 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 so it does so. But Honorable, so given that you are in the House, I'm sure these discussions have come up unofficially. What, what do you think is the general mood of the House in respect of all these discussions that has been going on in respect of the agreement? Do you think it will become an NDC-MPP affair like we've seen in very, very contentious matters? Or you think that the two sides will find middle ground and deal with this so that it, it doesn't degenerate into the usual noise we see when big matters like this come before the House? Well, this is a national issue. Mm. And um, it is also a policy issue. And the MPP lease policy. Mm. Government, pol Parliament doesn't make policy. Mm. Parliament rectifies uh, policy agreements and uh, do laws to back those policies. Mm. And so we are not going to dispute on them, I mean, against them on their policy. We will dispute on them about the kind of agreement which has a legal consequence that is going to have a total effect on all Ghanaians. And, and when they come, for being lawmakers, we will want to streamline areas in the law that will reflect the true nature of the situation, the true feeling of the Ghanaian. Mm. We definitely will do that. And uh, I can see that people are eager to have a feel of mm. the law. And uh, I can also see a lot of 
um, questions being asked. What is this law? What is being done in it? What is it that people are complaining about? How is it that the minister is talking without us hearing from him in parliament? Those questions are there. And I can see a situation where we can have a consensus in how we want to deal with it. Unless nobody, the person, you know, coming, going beyond all that we'll be saying, would not want to show enough love for this country. We don't want a situation where we are shortchanged. Mm. We want a situation where our contributions can make any meaning, some meaning, into the totality of this agreement. Um, we are there because we don't want the people to be taken for granted. And we represent the people. And I don't think that in doing so, anybody will contradict uh, a suggestion that, for example, that there should be a chemical plant mm. and that we should change an agreement which will compel them to have a chemical plant or which will allow them to have a chemical plant in Ghana. You know, uh, nobody in Ghana will say that, no, 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 don't do that. It's not a good thing. Or to say that, look, streamline the people who are going to be the beneficiaries of the, the previous uh, landowners. We want to know who they are. And somebody says, no, 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 we don't want that. I mean, there should be very clear terms in which we, 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 we argue a debate about this and come to some firm conclusions that will enable us to have more beneficial consequence in the way we relate to the company. Mm. Uh, I, I see. Um, let, let me speak to you. So, so Dennis, um, uh, yes, the, the money position is known now and, and all of that. Uh, the, the, you, you have a sense, obviously, that the, the language in the agreement in respect of the establishment of the plant could be tighter, you know. And do you also have a sense, or what have you found out in respect of the uh, the matter of the the, the tax holiday that the the uh, the company uh, would benefit from? Because there's this notion that the company comes under the free zones arrangement, and so that entitles them to a certain number of years, about ten years tax holiday. What have you found out in respect of that? Well, I think that uh, in in the civil society exchange yesterday uh, meeting with the minister and the minerals commission that claim was disputed that it is the company atlantic lithium and it was part of my presentation but because of time that i skipped that mm. it's a bit of credibility issues that we are also seeing with the company they are making certain statements that the government has disputed they they one time made a statement that they had acquired all the permits required to mine and produce uh, in a way uh, Meanwhile, the time that they put that statement in some investor presentation, they have not received all of those permits. Secondly, they also made that statement in some of their presentation that they will have some tax holidays for about 10 years and even some rebates. But currently, as we speak, the minister has disputed that and he says it is not true. And so the information we have now is that it is not true that the, the company will get a tax holiday or any electricity tariff um, so far. So on that issue, the minister has clarified that, and we are hoping that maybe a, a statement or, or maybe a paper will be put out there clearly uh, stating that this is a, an official issue from the ministry that that claim is not true. But because the, invest, the, the company made that presentation somewhere, that is why that notion came up that is it that they have a different arrangement? But yesterday, the Minerals Commission and the minister also clarified that that statement is not true. And so I think that is what we work with for now. But if there could be a paper or maybe, or let's say, a, a statement that was put out there 
to strongly state that there is nothing of such in the agreement, then uh, I think it will clarify all of those issues. But so far, they said it's not true. On the refinery, our argument is that the scoping study that is going to be done uh, ex post, after we have written the agreement, what does that happen is that we got one of the key issues that will be discussed is, is it, is it profitable for the company? But we believe that if that scoping study had been done before, that is our, our first point, that if we had done that before we wrote the agreement, we could have gone in with much more stronger positions that we actually understand what it takes to make this refinery maybe profitable. And so we believe that at this threshold of profitability, at this threshold of maybe oppression, it is compulsory that we must establish that refinery. But now we are going to do that desktopy study after before. And the, the information we had is that the results may come up before parliamentary ratification. And if that is, then it means that there are, then there's an entry point to make some of these conditions much more tighter. What we are asking for is that there should be some tighter conditions that make it imperative that that is the key component, because we know that that is the most important thing. And so we make that section much more stronger. The other argument that we make is that what is our long-term view about even this refinery? Yes, there is this um, argument that, or there's this aspect of Feltspa and Kaolin for the ceramics market. But I think what we are actually looking for is that what is our broader strategy? If we are refining and we are coming out with maybe lithium carbonate or lithium oxide, what is our long-term strategy? Given that there are other critical minerals within the, the sub-region or in Ghana like graphite, what is our long-term strategy in getting us to the end of the chain, that is the battery, where we can maximize a, a lot more, um, a, a lot, a lot more um, revenue or a lot more benefit? And so it is more of our strategy for the long term of the refinery, as well as making sure that we make it very strong and tighter, that that is what we are even, uh, that is what we are looking out for, so that it becomes a mandatory action that if you look at the project economics and it reaches this pressure, now our challenge is that because the scoping study is exposed, we don't know how it will come into the agreement and say that uh, maybe they did a scoping study and the company said it is not profitable for them. Yes, there's an opportunity for third party, but our argument is that if the third party aspect also delays, then what happens? Mm. So these are a bit of the unanswered questions that we believe that if we had done the scoping study before, then we can we could have even be more stronger and say that we know what it takes for this to be profitable. And so this and these conditions you must fulfill that. But now we we we, we get into the agreement before going to the scope. And we don't know how we will bring all of that into the agreement and make it much more tighter. And we believe there are other maybe annexes that must be part of the agreement so that it clarifies all of these uh, misunderstandings. Yeah. Very well. Uh, thanks, Dennis. Uh, so, uh, fortunately, we've been, joined, we've been joined by Martin Lacey, who is CEO for the Minerals Commission, to also help provide some uh, insight and clarity on some of the matters that have been raised. Uh, uh, Ms. see, thanks so much for, for joining the, the discussion. Uh, uh, yes, the, the, the lifespan of the mine, we, we understand it is, is 12 years. Can you help us appreciate what the size, really, of, of, of the mining area is, for, for starters? Oh, uh, thank you very much. Sorry I couldn't join you from the beginning because apparently I was on the same show with him on the uh, Metro. Mm. And I then see. he abandoned us and left for this one. 
I see. I mean, it's, 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 it's what we call the cocoa season for, for some of you mining experts and, and policy people. So I, we appreciate the job you guys are doing, are trying to okay. provide a lot of so, information for the public to, to know exactly what's going on. We appreciate that. Okay, so let me, let me explain the mining area thing first. Mm. So uh, about 42.3, so let's say roughly 42 square kilometers was covered of their prospecting license to be used for the mining lease. Mm -hmm. So the lease that was granted to them or to the company by IDV is roughly about 42.3 square kilometers. Mm -hmm. That's the mining lease. Mm -hmm. Now, if you use the word mining area, then you are getting to a different mm -hmm. uh, technology altogether. So within the 42, there's, it's not all the 42 square kilometers that will be mined. I mean, mm -hmm. there are places for installations and other stuff, stuff bundles and all those things. And then the mining actually, where the drill blast load and hole will take place, is within a certain area. Mm. So within the lease, we have to approve what we call a mining area for them. So uh, in, 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 we should be careful. Of course, that's education now. Mm. Where we shouldn't confuse what is mining area and then the lease. Mm. But I wanted to, I wanted to believe that you are speaking to the size of the lease. Mm. Mm -hmm. If it's a size, then it's about roughly forty-two point three square kilometers. So, so if. I, I, yeah, so, so you are yet you are yet to approve, you know, a specific lease on um, the area for them to, to do the real mining. Is that the point you're making? Yes, we call it mining area. I, mining, I only yes. want to tell you to distinguish between the mining area and the mining lease. lease a lot of people don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure you yourself you know. So mm -hmm. I, I'm only clarifying for you so that the two are not the same. Mm -hmm. The lease basically speaks to the exact area of your your concession, if mm -hmm. you like. Mm -hmm. That's the size now. It's about 42.3 square kilometers. Mm. That's a, the maximum in the law is 63 or 300 blocks. Mm. But within your concession, there's an area where you start mining from. We call it a mining area. Because you see, this is how the law works. If it's going to take 12 years or more for them to mine, there are so many places, for example, within your lease that you may not be mining now. And granted that there are people who are living there, they could still be enjoying their surface rights. You understand that they could still be farming. Of course, if you are not going to go to a place in the next five, six years, why deny, let's say, the community from mining, sorry, from farming or exercising their surface, right? Maybe hunting or doing other things in an area where you'll be coming to in about seven, eight years. That is why in the law it says that when you are giving them the lease, they need to make an application for you to approve within the lease an area for them where they'll be mining. Because you see, you cannot. Phantom, how come somebody may have, let's say, a 60-kilometer square lease, and then maybe it's 30 years. See, the number of years they'll give you depends on how much you're going to mine and then the size of your deposit. Mm. So some could even get five years, some could even get 30 years. So granted, company has, let's say, 30-year lease, which is a maximum in the law, and it's 63 square kilometers. Let's say the first 10 years or so, you'll be mining within an area of, let's say, 10 square kilometers where you have your installations and other things. What do you do with the remaining 40, 50, where you are not going to come to mm -hmm. that place now? Can't people be farming there and be, be doing, let's say, seasonal crops? Can't they be doing other things? Unless the place is even fallow. Mm -hmm. So the wisdom in defining a mining area within the lease is to ensure that, look, the community is also able to use lands that you are not going to mine now, but in future. So by the time you come there, then notice is given to them, they move. Mm -hmm. So for example, once the mining area is defined, they are compensated, and then they don't do, let's say, tree crops or economic crops. But, I mean, maize, they can be doing it and be harvesting. 
So you go to so many mining communities, you see that they are even farming and doing other, or exercising other surface rights within even the concession of a company. It's yeah. all because of the way the law works. So just understand that there's a difference between mining area and then the actual size of the lease. Mm. If it's the actual size you're asking for, it's roughly about 42 square kilometers. Mm. I, I see. So talking about the community, how much engagement uh, has a minerals commission or the, even a ministry or the company uh, done with these communities? This week, we, we had the chief and co in the area saying that they will be most affected. And so the 1% community development you know, fund, etc., for the fund, etc., is inadequate and they want more. How much engagement has been done between the company, maybe yourselves, and the, the community so we don't experience, you know, situations where mining starts and the community be up in arms against the people, that would derail the whole process? Two things. Uh, government coming out with the terms of the agreement, and let's say the chief, let's say man can see man, and other people reacting, it's a different matter. But engagement, company and the community, one of the finest. They support them, even at this age where they are not mining, when they want to conduct some other activity, doing festivals, football season, all those. And the company has been supporting them. So the company has a fantastic relationship with the mining community, particularly where they are, Grandpa Chrome, Abongro. They have a relationship, and we normally encourage that a lot. So that is, I want you to see that difference, because you see, all these years that let's say roughly the 11 or 10 years that exploration has been going on. They've been going there up and down. There are people who are employed from the community for all kinds of jobs there. They attend to the, they engage the chiefs, they, they support them in various ways and assist them one or two things, which for now is voluntary because they are not producing anything else. So there's that relationship that is there for years, we know. And like publicly come out with some of the things they've been doing for the communities all these years, supporting them in various ways, which, and the normal circumstances should have been voluntary because they're not making any money. Mm. But that's fine. It is, I want you to separate that from where, let's say, government has not intended to a content saying that, oh, you get X, Y, Z. That's a different matter. So the Mankensim chief coming out to say that, oh, we'll not accept 1%, should not be misconstrued that all these years the, the mining company has been aloof from them. No. We've been doing that. As I speak, for instance, the municipal assembly has even given us a land to even build an office there. Other than that, we're going to rent part of, we have an office in Central Region, Cape Coast. We're just going to even rent a building that Geological Survey has. Mm. But the assembly has even given us a land, they come and build there. I mean, we did this in longer. Engagement has been going on with the company and they have a fantastic relationship. Separate that from the chief having issues with what perhaps we'll be getting. If you permit me, I can speak to that. Mm. Now, Bernard, I no, don't want no, this is Salom, yeah. Yes, hold on. Mm. I don't want us to also create the impression that this one percent is like some kind of a shareholding for the community. No. Under our laws of Ghana, all minerals are owned by the Republic. The president is only holding it in trust for the so-called 30 million plus Ghanaians. So the one percent is not like a shareholding or some form of compensation, if you like, for the community. No. <laughs> that is one. But practically in all jurisdictions over the world, there's what we call corporate social responsibility. So if you go to like Australia, there's they call it native title, you go to Canada, they also have it. And then in almost every African country, they have made community development agreement compulsory. Meanwhile, almost many of the countries in Africa actually borrow from our law in terms of our rare mining law, the 1986 one. Ghana is the only country now almost in Africa 
that has not legislated on certain portions or proceeds from mining operations being given to support the communities. The whole idea stems from the fact that, look, yes, the gold, the bauxite, the mineral is for the good people of this country. But you see, this particular project, it is not the people of Rara, where I come from, who are losing their land. You understand that? Mm -hmm. It is not where you, Salem, comes from that are losing their land, or where Danish or maybe Honorable Washi people who is from who are losing their land. Mm. Yes, the final product, whatever we want to do it with, is for the general country, or all of us. But the person at uh, Weya, or Krampa Krum, or Bon Krum, who potentially maybe has to move away if it becomes necessary, or cannot go to some place and go and farm now, simply because he'll be impacted by manual operation, uh, look, we say, look, let them get something. So, yes, they may be compensated for damages to crops, deprivation of use of land, and all those things. Then, if you look at the sub-region all over the world, for instance, Sierra Leone is 1%, Guinea, I think it's about 0.5%, Kenya, many of the countries in East Africa is 1% because I was quite heavily involved in drafting many of the regulations in East Africa. Tanzania, for example, has a 1% CDA. And it will interest you to know that Angoko Ashanti, which is here, that owns a Gita mine in Tanzania, pays that by law. And then their counterparts here rather don't pay. So what is the practice now? You take a decontrast of pesos mining. You take a half of foundation. And then you take all that goofies and go are doing. It's all voluntary. The, excuse me to say the word, the annoying part is that whatever they provide by way of CSR is tax deductible once it is approved. So that beautiful stadium, Gofus, you know, has done. That road they did, is it from Abosso to Daman? All these things that Newman has been doing in their communities all. Yes, it is helped to improve social livelihoods and then connect them to the community. They detect it from their tax. No, it has come now. The time has now come for us to catch up with the rest of Africa, which under normal circumstances, Ghana is a pioneer. How, how come that people who rather learn from you are rather ahead of you? So we said, look, let's put it in this. Other than that, we had the draft regulations to make community development agreement compulsory. So the 1% is born out of what is a practice all over the place. So if the issue is I will give them 5%, 10%, then you are now trying to move away from the realm of something that the community should get because they bore the brunt of whatever will happen, both positively and negatively, to then the issue of shareholding. And I'm saying that may be wrong. Mm. So now that the chief has come out, actually I had arranged with the central regional president of the central regional house of chief to engage them. We should have done that sometime last week, about two, three months ago. Uh, the Brema Sukuma chief, who is the president of the central regional house of chiefs, I've told him that, look, arrange with the central regional house of chiefs and let me come and meet them. Of course, we'll do it all over Ghana to explain some of these things. We're supposed to do that on 12, but I think I traveled with the minister, so we couldn't do it. I'll see whether we can do that next week or perhaps just after the new year so that these issues of this, educating them on what actually this 1% means, a practice internationally, and that it should not be construed as a shareholding or whatever, will all be clarified. So it, it is too early days. This is not a time for us to return fire and say, uh, you cannot get that or no. We will engage them properly. I mean, as a chief myself, uh, that is not how you do it. So we'll go there, organize a meeting with the whole central region, because mm -hmm. that's where many of the exploration rights are mm. and it seems to them beautiful and i believe once they understand us things will become clear i mean it's it's it's, it's all explanation so i will not respond to that 
to him and say, no, no, you cannot get that. No, mm. but this just for public education. We will engage them and explain it to them. Very well. Uh, so right. it's just a date that we are not certain about yet. Mm. So, so whilst we're at it, uh, when from your projection or your, your scheduling, are we expected to hit the ground running? I know you are parliament, the parliament hurdle to cross and all of that. But in your plan, when do you think we can have all of these things, you know, concluded or sorted and then get to the ground Beautiful. properly to start mining? Beautiful. Let me explain certain things. It's not as if we are being dismissive of Imani, IE, and Co. But there are so many things they've said which we don't agree with. Some are also not true, but some we even agree, like the issue of value addition, the pricing thing that they raised. All these things came to our attention when we we're doing the negotiation and doing the discussion. And as lawyers will say, and I'm one of them, it's not everything you put in an act. Even they'll say some of the things belong to regulations. Sometimes they will tell you it's not everything you put in regulation, you should even have guidelines. So for instance, if you look at the mining act, it says companies should procure certain things. Then in the regulations, it goes further and says that miners commission do at least every year. It even goes further to say, I should come out with a list that I don't need to come to parliament every year. So you see that all the time we keep increasing the items that the companies must buy. So a whole lot of the issues they are raising we didn't put them in the act, not because we didn't know, we knew of it, but it belongs to the, uh, the what do you call it, the additional agreement which we will be signed anyway. So let me explain. You need three authorizations or approvals essentially to work. One is a lease, which has been signed. Two, you need to go for ratification. And then uh, the third one. Hello? Yes, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, the third, somebody is calling, you know, these things keep interrupting. The uh, third one mm, mm. is to, you need to get EPA. Mm -hmm. So, the ratification has not been done that minister will take it to cabinet and from there you take it to parliament. I don't see it happening this year. That will not be rash mm. because the timetable will not allow that. So, forget about it happening. Ratification will be done. That's number one. Without that, they can't work. The mm. thing is not enforceable. We agree. That's why the issue of IE reasoning, we said it's moot. We knew it. Right from the very day the minister signed the agreement, he admitted clear that there are other steps. So we were quite surprised when he came back and said, oh, the thing has to go to parliament. It will go. So that is it. Then they have to go to the environmental permitting process. Okay? The environmental permitting process is quite rigorous. Mm. Even the, going to the scoping, EPA reviewing, doing the publication, there will be public hearing. You're talking about three, four, five months. And then when they finish, they have to be issued with an environmental permit. Then they have to come back to Minas Commission. Then we'll ask for certain documents like emergency response plans, operating plan, we'll go through it. And then we'll have to issue an operating permit. And then we have to even now look at their mine plan and other things. And then we'll now issue them construction permits. Uh, is it Selom? Yes, sir. Selom? Yes. I don't see this thing happening before Easter. Mm -hmm. Oh, before Easter? Wow. Yes, I don't see it. Yes, because mm -hmm. uh, you, environmental permit is not like just sitting there and doing anything. Mm -hmm. Because as we speak now, EPA is going through their report. Finish. They have to publish it and make it available publicly. Then Ghanaians can raise issues. You have to go and do public hearing. It's not going to happen this December. Mm -hmm. Today is what? 16 for thereabouts. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be easy. They have not seen any public notice yet for the public hearing. Okay? It has to be published for some number of days. So you are talking about already January, there are about February. Then organize a date for experts 
the community, everybody to go into it. There will be comments which have to be addressed by them. If you have to review it, there will be requests for further and better particulars. It's, it's, it's a long haul. Mm. So even granted everything is perfect or perfect to or they write everything very well. You are looking at no less than the next three months or so. Mm. Is that not Easter, March, mm -hmm. April? Yes, it then is. Then they have to come to Mincom and start another process all together for the operating permit. So you don't just submit the, uh, the, the EPA permit finally from EPA to Mincom or to me, and then I just issue the permit overnight. They have to submit what we call an emergency response plan, an operating plan. Chief Inspector of Mines will go through it. So that's some other, another one month or so. And then get all this. And then when all this is done, we have to go there and ask for certain information. Then we issue them construction permit. So, uh, so long give and take. You're looking at between now and let's say June. Now, here is it. And then I'm happy they need to sell something which I need to respond to. I'm not being dismissive anyway. Mm. So we have said in the agreement that one, uh, certain studies and reports will have to be ready not later than 20 February, to be precise. Mm. Uh, for the case of the Kaolin and other byproducts, they brought the scoping, we've seen it. I'm hoping by the end of this month we'll have gone through it and, 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 and then the final feasibility they brought. And then we'll know. So let me just give you a simple example. As it speaks, there are five ceramics companies in Ghana. Uh, four of them are within the Chaban, Shama, Enclave Corridor. Uh, Keda Ceramics, Marco Polo, uh, uh, Wakan, and then Jintao. Mm. They do ceramics. The biggest of them is Keda. Keda has 4,500 workers, and their annual turnover is about $300 million. They use five minerals. Ceramics, Fespa, they use kaolin, tack, and limestone, and clay. Centure uh, is the only one in Tema. Some of them do sanitary workers. That's why I support the ban on ceramics, because mm. it is there. So if you look at the market for the raw material for Fespa, which is one of the ingredients used for ceramics, when I put these five together, the companies are owned by Chinese. It doesn't matter whether Chinese own them. What is important is that these things are done here rather than importing them. Now, if you look at all this, they all use the gas. So it tells you that if you're going through the normal term, it will be very expensive. That is why we need a study to tell us, for example, what will it cost to refine it here. All these things have to be done. Now, in the feasibility report, the variety says they found 15 million tons of high-grade uh, FESPA. Uh, if you divide it by 12 years, that's about, and then divide it by one year, that gives you roughly 1,250,000 tons of FESPA. As at the grid, and then the whatever they found out. The grid is about 27, 28%. I don't know, these five companies, where are they getting it from? They are getting it from small scale miners within the central region, western region corridor, which we have licensed. Some of them also dig it in the style of Galamsey. The grid is roughly the one, for example, the Keda Ceramics we go by, which is by far the biggest company manufacturing ceramics locally, is about 78%. The one a way out with producing is about 27, 28%. So, as a, and then the total usage by these five companies is about roughly 960,000 tons. So, let's say 1 million. So, even the discovery in a way out is about 300,000 tons more than the current capacity of the five ceramics companies. But you take it that they will do expansion, so let's say whatever way I can produce is just the market size for the five. So then the question is, what about the artisanal miners? So we will need to, for example, think through it. What do we do before production starts on the capacity that we don't have? So you see, it is quite clear in the agreement. If you look at page 23, schedule 2, 1E, it says that 
all byproducts such as kaolin and clay will not be exported. And then when I hear people saying that, oh, they are giving discretion to the minister, even the minister signs are tight. He says, unless there is no local use for it. Now, this is what I want you to hear. I've just told you that roughly maybe between nine and six months before all the various approval authorizations will be in place. Until that, you cannot start. Now, the cons when you get all these things, the construction of the mine will take a minimum, not less than 14 months. So even, granted that they do everything by June, another construction, minimum 14 months. So let's use June. Six months, 2024 ends. Then you are left with eight months. So that takes you to August 2025. So you are looking at, let's say, two years from now, late 2025, before production can even start mm. of a single ton, two years from now. Mm. I see. Uh, say, yeah, two years is long enough. And I'm saying by February, February, when perhaps ratification will have been done or not been done yet, and I don't think EPA will be ready, we'll know the status of what to do when it comes to building a refining. Mm. We'll know what to do with the SS Cali and all those things. So we are two years far away. That's why uh, I like the way Dennis put it. You know, he said, well, all these things should have been done before. So I'm now responding to him saying that, look, we still have two years minimum before you even see production. Mm. It is long enough for us to sort out these chemical plants, refining and all those things. Now, again, let me tell you the, my response to this criticism people have raised. Ah, why are you saying that if the company will not do it, a third party? Uh, so long. The ability to set up a plant, everything all, is based on project economics. And I'll liken it to good. All the companies in Ghana don't have the same cost profile. Now, the, good, the price of gold is a little over 2000 Some are producing gold an ounce at 850, some 900, some 1,001, some 1,002, some 1,000, 1,500. Let me tell you this. If the price of gold should fall below 1,200, let's say drop by just $1,000 right now, more than half of the mines in Ghana will shut. Maybe it's only Newmont and one or two whose cost profile is just around 1,000, 1,100 can survive. It tells you that even if price should dip further below 1,000, perhaps you may just have one or two mines. So... People are making arguments without regard to the cost. Tapa, for example, they are digitally mining one gram per ton. Some are doing 1.1, some are doing 1.5, some are doing two grams per ton. So people are making arguments with being, without being sensitive to the kind of grade we have. Ewoya is 1.25. Gulamina, is, for example, is 1.3. So what we agree is that what's a real deal, what will really impact this nation's development is a value addition, which we agree, we know, we get that the mission and downstream, that is converting the concentrate into carbonate or hydroxide, that is producing the cathode and battery cells. And we understand that. So in one breath, we are on the same pace. Then in another breath, they say, oh, increased government take. Perhaps you should have gone for 50%. Uh, you should have had a minimum flat rate of variety 10%, and then design the scheme in such a way that as the prices go up, you get more take. Now, here's my argument and my response to them. If you increase government take to various measures, uh, royalty, uh, various tax elements, and all those things, what will happen is that these things are treated as uh, operating costs. So at the end of the day, the concentrate which is the raw material for the carbonate or hydrous, as the case may be, will become too expensive. So you realize that a country like China, 
that controls 44 percent as of december 2022 if you look at the iea report and also a publication by mining general which referenced the iea report it says that china controls 44 percent of the mystery which is basically using the concentrate as a raw material to produce a hydroxide or carbon this is just one country mm. so if let's say for the sake of argument china is it is causing they are buying it at, let's say five cities because they're also a producer they have eight percent of the world's reserve they produce 13 percent of the concentrate they import dough and remember chile can produce the carbonate far cheaper than even a hard rock in australia australia produces about half of the world's lithium and then chile 25 percent so cost profiles are not the same mm. so if you accept this argument and we knew of all these things it's not as if we didn't look at them if you just swallow this argument that will increase government aid, design a reality in such a way that you get more as price goes up what will happen is that there'll be too much cost build up and then your concentrate will become too expensive so china maybe is getting it five cities perhaps latin america maybe four or still let's say four cities and other areas like zimbabwe which have better grades then you realize that it is causing seven cities here why because your design is such that there's so much government take in various forms then the person comes to tell you oh you, the chemical plant, it is too expensive for me because when I do my sensitivity analysis, when I run my course, the project economics is that I'm getting your concentrated at seven cities. If you go to China, that is controlling almost about 44% or so, it is far cheaper there. Then you realize that, look, it is far cheaper to build a chemical plant and operate a chemical plant in, let's say, Zimbabwe, maybe in Chile, maybe in China, than you in Ghana, yes, simply because your cost is expensive. The basic example I can give what a, why is GTP and then uh, Akosomo Tesla and Japan? How, why have they collapsed? Because we are getting cheaper brands from China. Mm. The, the fabric or the prints here from Akosomo Tesla, that is if they are still around, or Japan Co. that have collapsed, they are not able to sell because it is cheaper to bring it from China than do it locally here. Mm. So, so the point where our GTP and Co. will be far cheaper, people will still continue to import cheaper fabrics from china it is the same thing that will play out here mm. so it is not as if we didn't know but our response to them is that we didn't want to, of course we didn't raise to the bottom anyway we didn't want to increase government aid so much mm. that it impacts the other raw materials at the various chains of the value chain because when you grow the cost it becomes a chain reaction then yeah. even the concentrated the carbonate and the hydroxide that you even use to produce your cathode or anode and all those batteries will also be too expensive because China can do it cheaply. These are arguments. Mm. And they need to understand that. I've just explained to you. Adamus, for example, is producing an ounce of gold about 1,600. Mm. New Montana is about 1,100. So when you get up to there and say, oh, now royalty is 7% for gold, you realize that Adamus may collapse because the cost is too expensive for him. Very well. New Montana can survive. Or you might push New Montana into a marginal mine. Because the grade are not the same. Some are doing one grams per ton, some are doing 2.7, some are doing 1.5. Mm. All these things are things people need to understand. So don't ask. Philly, let me wrap up. Philly, that sits on 40% of known reserves. Listen to my language carefully. Known reserves. Philly, one country alone. Even that has the highest royalty. They said 8 to 26%. And it's based on margins. So they even recognize that in spite of their known reserves, the grade of some of the lithium mines may not be the same throughout. Mm. So you can have a situation where some may even be paying the 26%, which is the upper limit, and some may even pay 
which may be two uh, percent lower than even the guy the one in Ghana. Mm. So don't be surprised. Some may even have eight nine percent royalty in, in Chile, mm. or even eight in Chile. Whilst we are uh, charging ten years, whilst some may be paying twenty six. Why did Chile do that? In spite of their Gaga deposit, mm. they did that because. The cost profile is not the same. So they said get they are using the margins and profitability. Mm. These are the things that people should understand and not to make, let's say, generalizations. Very well. Again, the last two points. No, uh, so you know what? Uh, let, 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 let me uh, take a short break. Uh, no, uh, hang on, hang on, hang no, on. Let, let me just I'll, I'll come back to you. I will take on, a short hang break. On. Okay. There are two things that very respected experts like Mr. Kufiansa, the first year of Minas Commission, and then the venerable uh, Fuichi Kata, who has mm -hmm. been in the mining space for over 40 years race. Mm -hmm. They raised two issues. They raised the issue of the pricing issue, and then they also raised the issue of uh, selling the concert in all less favorable. Yes. And this is our response. Our response is that no, we know about that. Can I get back to you on your response? Maybe just a minute break, and then I'll come back to you I'm, for I'm your saying, response. I'm saying this because my battery is now zero. Okay. So let me wrap up. My response to uh, uh, that brilliant expose by uh, the venerable Fuji Kata and Kofi Ansai is that we didn't have to put this in our agreement. Mm. So we'll sign an additional agreement that all these things will be put there. Mm. Again, let me wrap up. The Piedmont agreement has not been approved. Mm. So my advice is that, please, they should ask us for more information. We are putting more information out there because I realize that Imani keep revising their position mm. and keep changing as and when they make certain statements that we keep correcting. I just left Metro with Dennis. Dennis has said, oh, the free, uh, the, in Mali, they passed a law in August to replace that 2019 code, mm. they have about 35%. It is yeah. true. But you see, what he didn't tell us, mm. what he didn't tell us, which I clarified when he left, because he left the studio earlier, mm. is that Mali's 10% free carriage is still 10. Okay. Then he says that the state can acquire an additional 20% to be paid for. They have the option to buy an additional 20% to be paid for within two years of production. Very and well. then they will, they will have 5% local. So in all, State and Malian participation has a maximum of 35. Mm. We are saying the minimum is 30. So that clarification is important. He didn't explain when he was at Metro that the state has the option to acquire mm. an additional 20 to be paid for within two years. Very so well. for him to make a blanket statement and say, oh, Mali is up to 30%, it's unfortunate. He needs to go back and look at the law. I'm, I'm sure he will he'll have some response to that. Oh, was listening. I mean, that's yes. a fact. You fact are fact. You can't yes. change the law. Yes. Uh, yes. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. <laughs> he didn't make it categorical and said that, oh, you can Malian government to be paid for. He didn't mm. say that. He just said Mali can Mali government can get 30%. Mm. So the impression he left out when he was leaving was that the state has free carry interest 30. I'm saying it's not true. Very well. He didn't say that. I have to clarify. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then they are cap at 35. We are minimum is 30. The two are not the same. So they should, they should, they accuse us of cherry picking and looking at just website, but we read a lot, okay? And we, the kind of information we get, they may not even get. For example, I have a direct relationship with all the regulators in Africa. Mm. I have a relationship with, let's say, the director of mines in Sierra Leone, in Zambia, and all those. So we share a lot of information, mm. okay? So he has put out a statement that is not necessarily the case because he just created the impression that the state can acquire 30%, but he refused to tell us that. The free carrying is still 10, Very and well. that they have to buy buy the extra 20 if they want to within mm. two years. It's not added that. Okay. Thank you. Very well. Thanks so much, uh, uh, uh Thank you so much for 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 your willingness to to explain more. I wanted to put another question, but I'll, I'll take a break. Hopefully, your battery will not will, will, will not die. Uh, I'll take a short break. When I return, uh, we'll conclude this discussion and move to the next one, which is on the education and addiction 
of the uh, SHS head teachers. Don't go away. We're just concluding the discussion on the lithium mining agreement. Uh, Martin Acey, who is the uh, chief executive officer for the Minerals Commission, has been on. He was making a point. Um, I, I just wish to get one single point cleared from him in, in one minute, sir. Uh, can you clarify the, the, the matter of the tax holiday? There's some discussion in some quarters that the, the company is been saying to investors that they have a 10-year tax holiday because they come under the free zones uh, um, arrangement. In a few seconds, can you tell us whether this is true or false on what the position is from the, the position of government or the Minerals Commission on tax holidays? Hello. Sir. There is no tax holiday. There is no tax holiday on this project. Mm. Uh, so let me let me end that that discussion. There. Very well. We have we have not granted them any tax holiday. I want to believe, you know, I've not even seen that word. I want to believe that perhaps they might have gone to say that, oh, maybe under GRPC law, there are these kind of incentives. And maybe because it was found on their website or something, it didn't control that we have entered on We have okay. not. Very well. Uh, and, and then let's just treat it like pregnancy. Unless you have bought it, it will show. So mm. we'll get vindicated whether or not we actually granted them because now people are saying that oh, they've done something in the secret. Uh, I mean, these things are available. Mm. So with time, maybe the government or Minas Commission will be vindicated whether we're lying that we are giving a tax holiday. We have not. Very well. Mm. Yeah. Thank if, you so if much. They were explaining, if they were explaining the, the investment regime in Ghana, perhaps. I have not read whatever. Mm. I'm not responsible. Because I didn't even know of it. That people started saying. So, so, so the position they is that there's no set tax holiday. So that, that's, no that, 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 that's, that's, that's great. No, companies, mm. companies normally put advisory mm. positions of the investment climate for mining or petroleum mm. or anything on their website. So they mm. might have quoted and said, look, maybe under free zones, these things are available. Mm. Uh, that's not if we've given it to them. So we, let me repeat, we have not granted government of Ghana or Minas Commission through the Minister of Mines and, Lines, uh, Lines and Natural Resources, we have not granted Barari or Atlantic Lithium, any other company, tax holiday. Very Actually, well. there's no tax holiday in the mining sector in Ghana, mm. as I speak. Yes. Great. So, that, so that's good. So that, that's, that, matter, that, that, that matter should be put to rest. Very well. So, so that, that, that's, that's good information. Thanks so much, uh, uh, Mr. Martinesi. Dennis, uh, what ought to be your concluding remarks on, on all that yes. you've heard us discussing, including um, Mr. EC's input, etc.? Yes, yes. I think that for us, our objective was to push more for disclosure, push the conversation, and ensure that overall, our objective is that whatever Parliament ratifies, it is strong, it takes cognizance of how the market is changing, and ensure that we benefit from the upside and also our exposure to risk is minimized. Mm. And I'm sure that I also emphasized in our presentation that, yes, the company put out issues on tax holidays there, yes. but we have also confirmed that the minister said it's not yes. true. Yes, yes. So you said confirmed that, that from your meeting with the minister yesterday. Yes, mm. uh -huh. mm. And another point, too, on the participation, the argument I was making is that it was put across that there's no such um, agreement like this, even across uh, the sub-region. Mm. And we find that, yes, in, in terms of broader participation, some people like Mali have been able to have a law that will give the local participation at 35%. Just that I accept that I may not have gotten the time to break it down to separate the free carried interest from the participation. But we said that whilst our cap is 30, there are some people also have, through their mining code, also uh, gives them that chance to get their local participation as broader 
combined local participation to 35%. And so maybe that interpretation did not come. Right. But uh, what, what we are largely saying is that these conversations will come together and strengthen the whole debate and make sure that Parliament is well informed and whatever comes out of it benefits all of us here. Very well. Thanks so much. Seriam, 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 please, I beg you, give me one second. Our cup is not 30. There he goes again. Our cup is not 30. Our cup is what? cup is 35. 35. We say a minimum of 30%. Very well. Let me please tell you, it's minimum. I just heard him saying our cup is 30. Mali Radara cap itself as 35. Yes. Uh, Maximum 30. Uh, yes. Our minimum is 30. So we can even look. Me can get up today and say, look, I want to acquire an additional 20 or 30. Provided you have money. Mm. So, Dennis, our cap is not 30. Very our well. minimum is 30. Mm. We can go as high as whatever if we have the money. Please, please. Very well. I, I think that, that, that record is necessary. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Martinez. Thanks so much uh, for, for joining us. Honorable, your, your final words on this particular discussion. So it appears that, I mean, it will come to Parliament. Yes. There are a few other things that have to be done. So mm. we're looking at sometime 2025, you know, last quarter there, about before real mining starts. Some, you know, explanations we're giving all of that. Hearing, uh, Mr. E.C., are you, are, you, are you a bit comforted that, you know, your fears may not materialize, or, I mean, your fears will not materialize, your conclusion, your, your concluding remarks on this. Well, um, Mr. Izzy has demonstrated a lot of professional ability to appreciate what is happening, because it um, somehow originates from him. Mm -hmm. um, we are happy that there are a lot of uh, discussions now going on, and I'm happy he appreciates, he appreciates the fact that these are things that will eventually shape up the final agreement and that there's nothing conclusive about what is happening. And um, I'm also happy that uh, very quality suggestions are coming up. And it's, it confirms the NDC's position that there's so much yet to be done. And we believe that the best is only, the only best we can get out of it is, is for Ghana and not for anybody. You know, we, we are looking for the best for the country. Mm. And we are not going to relent on that. Mm. Let's also look at the fact that uh, Parliament is bracing up to receive this mm. information. We are bracing up to receive the policy. And uh, I, I, I believe that in the end, what comes out will be to the benefit of the whole country. And we are not going to disappoint Ghanaians. We are going to take all these key issues that are being mentioned into consideration in debating the uh, the agreement when it comes before us. Mm. Um, the final thing I want to say about Parliament agreement is that we will put up the suggestions. Mm. It is not on our place that the suggestions will finally be taken. Remember that um, what Parliament would do is to negotiate and I, I'm sorry, is to debate the, the issues. We will agree on some principles. We will pose them strongly before the government and uh, we will ask government to take them. Mm. Whether they come out strongly or not will also depend closely on the general public and parliamentary um, inputs. Mm. So this agreement tells you that Ghanaians are more conscious than we are imagining. And that consciousness is marking out in how we approach the issues now. Well. And that we don't want to look like the past mm. when ideas were imposed on us and we accepted those ideas as if they were uh, they were our own now we want to define 
policy, which will be our own policy. We want to do the laws, which will be our own laws. We want to agree that we are in charge and that, um, and that we are not going to look like before when apparently people didn't seem to care mm. about what kind of agreements define our relations with others. Mm. Well, it is a good thing that um, there's a varied and wide range of thoughts going into all these matters. Mm. Okay, that's great. Uh, so that's um, uh, uh, the Honorable Dr. Rashid Popu, uh, Member of Parliament for WAS Central. And also we've been hearing from uh, Dennis Asari, Senior Researcher, Energy Economics, Imani Africa, and also Martin AEC, CEO, uh, Minerals Commission. Thanks so much for joining us on this discussion. Uh, we are grateful for your time and everything. We will now move to the next discussion where my guest will remain uh, 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 the Honorable Rashid Purple, uh, Thomas Musa, General Secretary of the uh, Ghana National Association of Teachers, and then Divanek, the Senior Programs Manager or Officer, uh, Africa Education Watch. Um, gentlemen, again, welcome to the program. Now, the Ghana Education Service is intensifying its crackdown on the alleged charging of unapproved fees as uh, a number of um, head teachers have been interdicted uh, because they charge unapproved fees and, and the government or the, the, the service is unhappy with that. They've been interdicted, they are going through the disciplinary process and uh, we're hopeful that in due course the results of that will be made known. Uh, let me speak to uh, General Secretary of the, the Ghana National Association of Teachers, which is the, the biggest body for, for professional teachers, uh, and, and let's, see, let's hear what he has to say. Hello, uh, um, Mr. Musa. thanks so much for your patience and waiting uh, um, on the call for, for, for this conversation. Um, generally, people think that the, the head teachers uh, did what was wrong by charging those unapproved fees, but it appears the conversation has been around the fact that they did not have funding from government, so they had to improvise or they had to think outside of the box to get the schools running. What, what, what's your position on that, that they, they did the wrong thing because government was not forthcoming with funds? How, how, how do we place that? So thank you very much. Good morning to yourself and to all uh, the viewers and to the panel members on this program. Uh, to begin with, I would like to use this particular platform to express our profound gratitude to the Director General of the Ghana Education Service in the person of uh, uh, Dr. Eric Nkansa regarding the fruitful uh, deliberations we had some few days ago regarding this particular subject matter and the kind of uh, uh, complaints we made to ourselves and to help us address the issues going forward. We believe that all things being equal, if we are able to work around them, what is happening now will be a thing of the past. Now to the substantive issues that, has, uh, that you've raised, let it, it must be placed on record that nobody has been found guilty. Yes, it remains allegation because our legal system follows what we call the accusatorial principles. But I don't want to go into those things again, where who did the wrong thing, and what happened, what didn't happen, that all those things. Like I indicated earlier on, we have discussed these things extensively behind closed doors with the Director General, and we've also, we also, uh, the, the challenges and the difficulties were brought to his attention. He also indicated the concerns and things that came up. 
And having thanked him, I also want to use this particular opportunity to speak to the various heads of educational institutions for them to appreciate that by the rules of engagement, and particularly the labor laws, we are to in the labor yes, we are to obey lawful instruction. And so when an assignment is given to you and you think that there is, I mean, there should be some kind of variation or something like that. I think it's, in, it's proper that you revert to the, so the, the immediate supervising officer, which in this case should be the, the district director of education. But in some instances, they report to the director general, sorry, the regional director of education. Please, the second thing I would like to talk about is that we need to appreciate what really happens in the, the school setting. When I'm when I, that is appreciated, it will help us to it will help shape this particular discussion. I am I am a professional teacher. That is what I do for a living. Now, any teacher going to the school, the teacher goes there with three things in mind. You go there with the content, the pedagogy, and then the curriculum. The curriculum belongs to the state. And therefore, that one is predetermined for you, the teacher. The, the issue of the methodology, the pedagogy, or the, the pedagogy or the methodology you intend to use, together with the content, should come from you, the teacher. And you, that is where you will then determine how you want to get the curriculum delivered, based upon the based upon the concept as espoused in the, the curriculum. And so, in the course of the preparation to get this particular done, there are things that you will need. And that brings me to the second leg of the, 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 the second leg of the issue that I'm going to raise. You see, once you have entered into the school with these three things in mind, you go to the classroom. And when you are going to the classroom, you are to deliver three things in the classroom. I repeat, you go to the school with the curriculum, which the state has given to you. And then, you then look at the you then must have content as to how you should be able to teach it. Then the methodology will guide you. How do I bring this particular thing home to the children to understand? So when you enter the classroom, three things must happen. You target the cognitive, the affective, and the psychodome, the psychomotor domains of these particular children. That is where the impact comes in. Look. If you travel outside or wherever, whichever country you go, and you see anything happening there, it starts from the classroom. And that is why the issue of resourcing the schools has become critical. We, can, we don't have any alternative to that. Because if, if we do not resource the schools, believe you me, no matter the kind of curriculum we put in place every five years, we will always do cost 90 because it cannot be done. Once the teacher has the content and the teacher has the pedagogy, the teacher needs the resources to deliver. This brings me to the third leg of my uh, 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 point that I'm raising. You see, if you look at the budget carefully, if you look at the budget carefully, out of the 100% that comes to education, about 90% goes into the payment of compensation. We are left with only 10%. And the 10% is what is used for capital expenditure. We're talking about goods and services and other related matters. All the interventions uh, we have in education, that is what we use the 10% for. The question is, 
Can this 10% make do or help us get this thing done? It is not possible. To speak, an accreditation grant is in arrears. Will not permit me to tell you more about what is happening at the at the SHS levels. The arrears and some of the money that are outstanding and yet to be paid. And so that is the difficulties that have confronted the schools. And but like I have said, this is not to rationalize what the heads have done because the schools belong to the state and belongs to the employer. And once you go there, you have to obey lawful instruction. So look, if something is not done as soon as possible, believe you me, we will have serious problems. And that is why the Ghana National Association of Teachers, yes, we are aware that we have what we call the GET Fund. But where we are now, GET Fund is not in a position to help us shape our basic education. So we have recommended that we need a dedicated funding for basic education. And that basic, that, that dedicated funding should take care of our, the capital expenditure, goods and services, and the things that will help us produce or provide teaching and learning materials to our schools. And so when this is done, it will help us deliver quality education. It's for access education, we have even gone beyond the threshold. The, our challenge now is the issue of quality because the kind of learning material that must go, the resources that must go to the schools, those resources are not there. So like I have said, the headmasters, most often, they don't mean harm. Excuse me, all apology. They don't mean harm. It is out of good inten intentions to help the school. But like I have said, no matter, no matter how good the intention is, it must be within the confines of the rules of engagement. And those ones, like I said, we've had an engagement already with the Director General. We will deal with it behind closed doors. But the focus now is how do we make our schools functional? How do we make our schools work again? We have recommended the need for dedicated funding. So that is where we are now. As for the rest about what, what, what the head teachers did, what they have not done, they know that we want to create an audience that the engagement we have with the director general should be should let it be we should allow it to stay or to lie like that so that we can take arrest the rest of the issues behind closed doors because schools have just reopened it is tension all over the students will certainly need their head teachers or need the headmasters to get the schools running and we cannot afford one thing teaching and learning doesn't like is noise tension and all that teaching and learning cannot flourish in the environment of peace and tension, no. Sorry, in the, uh, in the midst of tension, challenges and controversies, no. Teaching, learning will not work in that particular environment. So where we have got into with the DG, we crave your indulgence that the kind of conversation we had behind, with him behind closed doors, we need to work on those ones and get it done. Also, we see how best to address the challenges confronting education. Mm. So long. This yes. is my initial comment. Yes, 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 and and that's that's been quite elaborate. So, so the 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 point is that the the disciplinary pro processes which have been initiated should be truncated, and the head teachers allowed to go back to school. Is that the plea you place before the GS boss? All that we told the director general is to temper justice with mercy. Mm. That's all that we are saying: to temper justice with mercy. And like I have said, the rest of the issues will be dealt with behind closed doors. Mm. And we've also indicated, you see, if you look at the number of heads that are involved in this matter, it is not everything. Some of them, if you look at the interdiction that has been given, some of them have not been given interdiction. And it, in fact, there are many. 
There are many. And if you investigate the issues carefully... Because some of them have not been given interdiction. What do you mean by that? Some of them were dismissed, not interdicted? I'm coming. You see? You see? This why I indicate. I don't want to go into the substantive and the procedural issues now. Mm. You see, normally, if something comes to you, or if you hear that a staff has done something wrong, the first thing you do is to give the person a query. Mm. Depending upon the magnitude of the matter, look, the issue of, of interdiction, you don't easily invoke it. Because, number one, once you invoke it, the person must hand over everything entirely. Mm -hmm. The person will be taking half salary, and it must at least the person will be there for at least some three months. The person's allowances and everything will have to stop. It is quite elaborate. When, you are, when someone is put on interdiction, it's a small matter. It's, it's an elaborate thing that one must go to. If you look at the public services manual and policy, you'll find it there. And that is why we are saying that in times when things like this happen, let us be patient. After all, if the headmaster has done this one, look, you just give the person a query, let the person respond. Normally, it must be done behind closed doors because pay our, pay the, our law, the loss of the land. No, you, you see, uh, the you cannot put somebody guilty until this guilt has been established. Now, the moment you put the thing into the public domain, the perception out there is that the person has done something wrong, the person will be called names and all that, and the kind of depression and all that. And as the worst of it of all is that the person's ability to stand before even the students and the staff to command respect also becomes a problem. So that is what we are but saying. What do, you, what, do you make of, what do you make of the view that these head teachers have been placed there to train and mold character? And you know right from the beginning that there are things you don't have to do. That's why we call them unapproved fees. And I'm also sure that government wants to crack the whip because government is also under pressure. We have parents complaining every time that the free SHS is not effective because kids are, are hungry in school, etc. So when you have a situation where headmasters or head teachers who ought to have known better, they know what the drill is. They know what the procedure is. If you want to charge people, and this allegedly, charge people, you must seek approval. That's why they are unapproved fees. Seek approval from your district director or the regional director. You do not do so. And now you burden parents who hitherto did not have money to send their kids to school, for which reason the free SHS came, burden them with things non-essentials like lunch bags, like track suits, etc. And because of this, parents are under pressure. They need, I mean, the, the government or the service, the employer, needs to crack the whip. And so cracking the whip in this case, many have said it's appropriate because these headmasters or head teachers ought to have known better. They are training young people. And so they, first of all, must be disciplined themselves before they, they meet out, you know, discipline to, to the children. You don't agree? Delon, thank you very much. When I started, I indicated that these issues we've had, that we had extensive discussion with the Director General. Yeah, but, but the public but is interested because the public knew about yes, it. Yes, so. I'm coming, I'm coming. You see, you, have, you, have, you, you made a statement that the purchase of uh, all, they being, asked, they being asked to buy things like tracksuits and all those things. These things have not been established beyond reasonable doubt. And it is also not to say that it happened or it didn't happen. And even if it happens, why did it happen? 
But that is what you see when we want to go into those things now, and then the issue, uh, uh, the, the difficulty is going to be that the people who should help the running of the schools and all those things and giving the current pension that is running, I mean, among the, uh, the child's people and all that. I've had extensive discussion with quite a number of them. So let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Capitation grants have not been paid at least for, the, for about two years now. I can tell you on authority that the basic school heads, they use their money to run the schools. What do we say to that one? What do we say to that one? The school is for the employer. Yes. So the, the, head, the, the, the head goes to school. There is a challenge. And there is nothing to run the schools uh, to run the school with. And the head will then use his own ways and means to find some resources to run the school. What do you say to that one? It's what I am saying that the, the, the issue at stake now is a bigger one. And we all need to tread cautiously today when it has happened to the head. Look. The head, that we, what, we are, what we are also doing now is that we are telling the heads, when this case is over, as we are pleading and asking to have, I mean, the, the employer to temper justice with, uh, to temper mercy, to temper justice with mercy, after this particular one, from the basic schools up to the, the, the SHS level, if you go to the school and something is provided, use it. If it is not provided, you fold your arms. Look, the difficulty will be that if you look at, at I am like I'm saying, I don't want to rationalize this particular thing. But every every public officer is giving certain amount of discretionary powers to do certain things. Okay, and I repeat, I am not to rationalize what has happened. No, mm. that every public officer is giving certain amount of discretionary powers to actually use his judgment to handle situation when issues come up. And we see these things on daily basis in all the schools because our children are with these heads day and night. Day and night. And they are with them. And so while this matter has happened, we have investigated them extensively and we've realized that, look, there are concerns with the due process that we have followed, among other things. Mm. But I don't want to go into it. Well. We, have, we have been able to meet, discuss them extensively, that going forward, our heads when they go to school, please. You may have very good intention to help, yes, because of the current challenges. But when you go, what is there? Use it for the employer. If mm. nothing is there, please put your just sit your one corner and don't create any problem for yourself. Very because well. your good intention may create problems for you. And we've had that, we've had those discussions, and I believe that the outstanding matters will be settled with the DG behind closed doors, and we'll take it out from there. So long. Very well. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much. So, so um, uh, Honorable, I'll, I'll take a short break. Let me take a short break and come back and hear from Honorable and then hear from Divine Equity and we can close the discussion. Uh, this is the big issue. We'll be right back. <music> Welcome back to the big issue. This is the final lap of the program, and we are looking at the uh, interdiction of the of some 11 SHS head teachers, and not uh, saying that they need to temper justice with mercy or mercy with justice. Uh, 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 Mr. You confused me, you know. And that the the, the, the director general is speaking to. They've had some in, uh, uh, 
some some behind the scenes discussion and all of that. Hopefully, something will come out of it. But uh, my view is that that does not take away from the fact that what they did allegedly, I mean, was was not correct. And so, the whip must be cracked at some point because that is what we we, we talk about every time. The government must learn to crack the whip. Let me hear from Honourable. Uh, uh, Rashid Pope. Of course, Diva Anikpe is also on. We'll hear from him. But Honorable, um, they did something wrong, allegedly, and government is taking steps to punish them. Um, this is the free SHS flagship program. Government wants to ensure that the program works well and nobody will stand in the way of government. Yes, of course. Um, uh, what, what you can see is government being very sensitive about the, 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 the senior high and mm -hmm. The fact that it has a policy, which is a free senior high, mm -hmm. uh, if there's anything close to giving a wrong impression about it or an impression that is not successful, because uh, if teachers or st um, schools are getting impatient without getting the needed funding and they try to do anything mm -hmm. to contradict the freeness of it, often government is sensitive about it. I do appreciate that. I, I know that. The present minister, um, Edichum, yeah, Edichum, trying to show, uh, demonstrate strongly that he's in charge, and indeed he's doing well. Uh, a lot of us have seen that there are some issues he would tackle with all his strength. Um, the last time I had to confront him to ask him what is happening to the Ghanaian curriculum, mm. what is happening to the performance of our students. How is it reflecting the circumstances we are confronting, uh, confronting us now in our development? He gave me a rundown of a new policy direction they are doing, the new curriculum they have developed. And I wonder how these things are happening and we are not seeing them. Mm. So I was encouraging him to go, come to parliament to make a statement so we can all contribute to it. But on the, on, on the whole, I mean, he's a person who wants to do well. But let me say that. Um, governments as a whole's commitment to education has so much to be worried about. Mm. Yeah, the highest investments in the last 20 years of education was in the John Bahama administration. 2011, uh, we committed about 8.4% um, of our GDP to education. In mm. 2011, 2012, we did almost the same, but thereafter, our commitment to education has been reducing. And right now, as we are talking, there's a small commitment to education compared to the, the rest of Africa. We mm. just have 3% of our GDP commitment to education. Yeah. And so if people, you, you do so to education and people are wondering how the rest of the resources needed can be acquired, then the possibility is that they fall on the, on the students. And uh, contradicting the mm. fact that we want to see education to be free so in this particular situation, I think that some further investigation has to be done. The whole concept of the free education has to be looked at. The whole idea of um, teacher-student teacher relationship should be examined. And then you don't just blame the headmaster, you blame the system as well. And, and you go deeper into the matter and try to streamline how we can have a full solution to this problem. Mm. But on the whole, um, I, I want to, um, you know, somehow side with the, the, the nuts mm -hmm. for saying that um, 
we should we should not be that conclusive in the punishment in, uh, situation we should do some further investigation and that uh, you know and in some instances we should temper justice with mercy but the Ghanaian has to be very careful about how laws are presented and how they are mm -hmm. um, executed and how they must be obeyed in most instances we do things with our recourse to thinking that there are rules and regulations. We very easily try to translate systems into our own thinking and actions so that in the end we violate the laws without knowing we are violating them. So this is a very clear example to demonstrate to all of us that within the boundaries of the law, we need to respect how far we can go in handling them and interpreting them in the way we want to uh -huh. interpret them. But again, in the view of the NDC, that tells you that there's a need to do a review uh -huh. of these things. The free SHS. Yes, the free SHS. So we don't have situations like this. It has to be revealed. Issues have to be put clearly. People have to accept the boundaries. They would have to follow them. would have to get a clear picture for uh, uh, teachers and students. And we have to do so to the benefit of the larger population of young people who want to materialize their ambitions in uh -huh. education. And to clear the fact that teachers uh, and head teachers will not continue to have this yearly perennial pain of being interdicted mm. from now and then. And uh, uh, so for now, we, we think that this whole conception is a challenge, it's a big challenge to, or is the challenge coming out of the implementation of, of the, the free, senior, free senior high? I see. And, and, and that. Uh, it's a telling this a very good story mm. that there's a need for a review to be done. To be done. I yeah. see. All right, mm. great. Um, Divine, um, Divine is with the uh, Africa Education Watch. They have been uh, very uh, vocal about matters of education in this country. Uh, he's the senior uh, programs officer. Uh, what, what, what is your thinking around this so-called punishment that has been meted out to the people? Not punishment really yet, but a process has been initiated, they've been interdicted, and I'm sure investigations and things will happen. Not to saying that uh, we should tamper justice with mercy and, and, and let things lie whilst we deal with the bigger issues. What, what, what's the thinking of the Africa Education Watch? All right, thank you, uh, Salom, and good morning to your viewers. At Africa Education Watch, we recognize that parents' support towards their world's education is important and specifically being towards the free SHS is much important, especially also in the context uh, that when you look at uh, budget credibility for the implementation of the free senior high school program, uh, which keeps decreasing. We cannot make the case enough for parental support. If you look at the budget credibility, that is to look at allocation versus expenditure, what is allocated versus what is given to the policy at the end of academic year. We have realized that it keeps decreasing. Uh, yes, in the policy inception year 2017-2018 academic year, we overspent by 20%, but since then it keeps decreasing. 2018-2019 academic year, we did 99% uh, very well. But 2019-2020 academic year, the budget credibility rate was 76% which means uh, about 24% of the allocation has not been released. It decreased further the following years to 58%. And 2021-2022 academic year, 
it further decreased to 51%, meaning that 49% uh, of the allocated fund were not released for the policy implementation. So if government is allocating resources but not making the funds available or the money available for the policy to run effectively, the case for parental support cannot be made enough. Uh, however, when we are calling for parent support, it is also very important that we understand that if the heads of schools want to ask for the support of parents, it is in the context that will ensure that there is equity, there is a due process that is followed. So in this particular issue that we are talking about, heads charging and authorized fees, we need to ask certain questions like, uh, was it by consensus the things that they had to pay for was it by consensus or it is imposition mm. you look at some of the things or some of the cases that we had they were imposing them on the parents parents were to buy them otherwise their wars would not be admitted we can also ask the crazy them being done in a fair way for instance you are tying into admission conditionalities that if you are not done with the uh, the, the payments or buying some such of those items, you know, be true with your admission. That's not fair to parent. Also, we can ask is due process follow. You have a body which is charged. We believe strongly that they could still have used that channel to uh, a petition or send their grievances to their employer, GES in this case. But it's also a bit transparent. Some of the things we had, we, we understand receipts were not being issued in some of the instances. And then also the, some of the items the heads were charging for, uh, were they justifiable? And some of the cases not justifiable. For instance, payment at a registration point, 400 Ghana the admission fee, 300 Ghana sales of school uniform, which government has absorbed. If you look at the policy, you are charging 300 Ghana for that. Protocol payment, <laughs> you ask yourself what is protocol payment, and you're asking that 200 Ghana be paid towards that. So some of the items clearly that they were uh, asking parents to pay for, we can't justify them. They also are adhering to directives of their employer. Mind you, the free SHS policy allows that parents can make contribution, but when it is contribution that is to be made by parents, you as the head do not be at the forefront of collecting the money or the school should not collect the money. Allow PTA to collect the money. So why do we have to sideline that directive? And again, we have a unified prospectus. And that was determined in collaboration with CHAS. And if you have a, a challenge that an item needs to be in the prospectus but has not been included, during the consultative process, that included it in the unified prospectus. Other than allowing the process to end, and then we have a, a prospectus that's cast across for all schools, and then at your own school, you are doing your own thing. There cannot be any justification for that. And then again, we need to ask if those extra costs that they are charging, are they likely to prevent the enrollment of some of the students? And the answer is yes. Asylum, just Thursday, we uh, launched a report, cost incidence analysis of the Fresno High School policy to understand the cost being borne by parents and the cost being borne by government. Annually, government uh, spends uh, per unit, per unit cost for the policies around 1,100. And if you look at parents, their expenditure on prospectors, 
previously before the harmonized prospectus uh, for the 2023-2024 academic year. It, the policy inception year, parents were spending on average 1,304 prospectors, and that keeps increasing. 2019-2020, average they were spending 1,500, and then in the last academic year, the just ended academic year, they were spending around an average of 2,400 Ghana cities to acquire uh, items in the prospectus. And our interaction with parents that some of these children are still at home because they are could not afford the items in a prospector. Each year, if you look at the number of students placed by the number of students enrolled, in 2019-2020, 50% of students placed were not able to enroll. It was to 11% in 2020-2021 academic year. 2021-2020, it increased to 15% again. Yes, the last academic year, we saw an improvement. Uh, it was falling 2%. But clearly, some students are unable to enroll. And if you ask parents why, in our survey that we did, majority of the parents in Canada, because of financial constraint, they are unable to enroll their watch. So if we have gotten to a point that we have harmonized our prospectus by removing some items from the prospectus to lessen the burden on parents, it is just very important that we protect that prospectus. So, so, so in, in essence, you support the decision of the GES to have these uh, Head teachers interdicted. Yes, because, because the activity, know, the activity was a bar to enrollment. In your view, yes, it it, it 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 has the potential to hinder enrollment of some children, and for us also strongly we believe this. This is just to allow for investigation. As Thomas mentioned, it is not to say they have sacked you. No, so it is an allegation. Parents call to make, and we should allow the process to follow. They should be investigated. Well, there are instances that, yes, uh, heads have done things that were not supposed to be done generally and not be supported or cannot be justified. If there's a punitive action that the employer needs to take, uh, fair enough to serve as deterrent, uh, there's nothing challenging about that. Very well. Uh, so let, let me take a final word on this, uh, Musa. But you may want to answer this question just in one minute. So when do we get results? Um, you said you've engaged the education, the, the GS boss and all of that had fruitful conversations. When do you expect results uh, from this discussion you've had vis-a-vis -vis their own ongoing process? One minute. So thank you very much. Uh, so long, like I indicated, we have been working with the Director General, working with the children for all these years. And if today something has happened, like um, I don't want to go further, we are still saying that the, uh, the DG and the employer should temper justice with mercy. That's all that we are saying. Very well. And, and, and I'm so asking that, that based on your, your conversations, when do you expect so, to yes. hear something? Yeah. So we will revert, certainly. We will revert. Mm. We will revert because the, the, the semester has just started and we are working around the clock to iron out all those differences and we will revert. Mm. Thank you very much. All right. I'm so grateful, uh, as always, for, 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 you. for your intervention. Um, God bless you. Yes. D Divine, you have the final word on this. Do you think that the education ministry should tamper justice with mercy, let them off the hook, or you think that they should go ahead and crack the whip to serve as deterrent to the rest of the people? So we, we, largely, we believe that there are more heads that are doing this, and if we do not take action and send strong signal to them, this will continue. So, so the ministry, the education service should go ahead and punish them, more or less? We support any punitive action that the employer wants to take. Very well.
that's quite that's quite, that, that's quite a strong one, but that's fine. Uh, thanks to my uh, divine. Oh no, you have the final word on this. Well, um, thank you. Um, like I'm saying, this issue is a very important point at which we can begin to discuss mm. the whole concept of uh, <coughs> the free senior high and um, to also examine government's approach to it and government relation with the, with, the, with the schools. If it means that this is not the first time government has interdicted uh, headmasters or headmistresses for doing things contrary to their, to their, to their policy rules. And so if it, it persists, it's no longer going to be taken in, in a very simple uh, manner. It, it demands that some further investigation has to be done. It also examines for government to re-examine its policy. How come you do a policy, you punish people for violating the policy, and persistently the policy is violated? Mm -hmm. It shows a bigger reason for, for it happening that way. Mm -hmm. But again, um, the question also goes to headmasters and, and, and the rest, that you, you must be very forthright in coming out to tell government what you think the situation is, oh. you know, without going behind the door to do what you think uh, is right, oh. rather than what the government wants you to do. Okay. Um, we all are worried about government policies. Government um, is not doing what we believe can champion the affairs of our education system to the fullest that can correspond with our need for development. We think that government is not committed enough in that mm. direction. Fair but there are ways by which we can question government, mm. not the violation of rules. That's fine. Mm. All right, great, great, great. Thanks so much, um, Dr. Rashid Popo, Member of Parliament for Ward Central on the ticket of the NDC. Uh, you also had Divine Ekpes, Senior Programs Officer, Africa Education Watch, and also Thomas Musa, General Secretary of the Biggest Teachers Association in Ghana, the Ghana National Association of Teachers, uh, for his intervention as well. Thanks so much for doing the listening and the viewing. My name is Salom Adunu. Catch you same time next week for another exciting edition.